Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Democrats 
to not vote for Democrats in November. And, you know, one of the things we'll hear first uh, on the uh, program is a speech from JFK, one I was going to play again last week, uh, but I'm going to play tonight. I'm going to play the speech in its entirety because just listening to the the speech, I mean, you definitely want to uh, – you know, there's a full one, and then there's the the abbreviated one. Uh, I'm 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 kind of torn on which one I want to uh, want to play because I mean one thing that you're definitely going to notice by just listening to JFK, listening to the speech, is that today's Democrat Party is not the party of JFK, and that is what uh, we're going to talk about and discuss. Why again, even Democrats, especially ones consider themselves as patriotic Democrats. Uh, should not vote uh, for the Democrats in November. I've seen this post. Uh, now I didn't, you know, I'm not going to take uh, credit for something that's not mine. But I've seen this uh, post on Facebook, and I was like, "Wow, how much truth is that, and how much it really applies to today?" And we got an audio tonight that's from one of the videos on from the Bard's Logic newsroom uh, that you can find on the Bard's Logic website uh, page at www.bardslogic politicaltalk.com. Um, you're definitely going to want to watch that video. Definitely going to want to hear the audio tonight. We're going to play later in the show, again, whether you're listening live or to the, the podcast. So you're definitely going to want to to stay tuned uh, to hear that. And so what we got here is, you know, on this post that I've seen on Facebook, and again, this, this audio I've got later, that's like the, the video is going to really blend and, and meld this together. Um, but that post was, you know, and I consider this, Nazis were the National Socialists um, that tore down statues. Uh, they banned free speech. They blamed economic hardship on one group of people. And in this instance, the Democrats today blame whites in the name of white privilege and white supremacy. Uh, the Nazis also instituted gun control. And put now this coming, remember, coming from a pagan, self-proclaimed pagan as myself, uh, put the state before God. So for the, the Christian folks, we do have a lot of uh, a lot of them comprise our uh, our listenership. Uh, and they also want they also nationalize healthcare. Uh, they place strict government regulations on industries. Now, if you think of the of the two party system of America, which one of the parties does this describe? So they always want to you know say that the, the Republican Party are the fascist party. When actually, if you look at what you know, the National Socialists and what people call fascist Nazis and Nazis, uh, with their regime, is to certainly want to uh, have people. You know, when you share the episode, definitely share tonight's episode. We got some great materials here tonight. Uh, share it on your Facebook. Share it on your Twitter. Uh, email it out to folks uh, with with the link for tonight. Uh, definitely want to do that. Um, and I, you know, really appreciate. It. You can even follow this show uh, on uh, Blog Talk Radio. There's a follow button. Just push that, and you'll be able to follow the show. And then with the Bard's Logic Newsroom, uh, you'll also be able to, uh, you know, get the weekly updates. You know, when when it's out, and that can kind of give you a flavor of what we're going to be talking about on the show uh, for that week. And that that comes out on Tuesday nights, so you can see that on Tuesday, and then. You know, kind of be prepared, like, oh, this is kind of what they're probably going to be talking about the the night. And, of course, if other news-breaking things come up, we'll be talking about, you know, that as well. Uh, but that's a good uh, good way of, of, 
you know, know and get an idea of what we're going to be talking about. So you can you know, prepare conversations, discussions, questions, things of that nature. So definitely join our discussion. Um, and what we want to talk about is what will actually happen. Like going what we're you know seeing now, if Joe Biden wins in November, and if the Democrats maintain power in the House, um, that's something that's uh, definitely going to be one to consider too. And so this is the time to push back. And we're in, we're in June, almost in July. July is when it really starts to ramp up uh, for the presidential election. I would say next uh, month, uh, Biden's going to. Pick a, Kamala Harris, I mean, pick his VP uh, <laughs> choice. That's who I think. And you know I've been saying that for quite some time. I think he's going to pick uh, Kamala Harris as his running mate. Uh, and so, but, you know, but that's probably going to happen next month. July is really going to. They're starting to hammer on. Uh, now they're trying to start to hammer the, the COVID numbers in Florida. Of course, that's run by a Republican. You know, what, the, what you're not hearing is you're not hearing them talk about the, the lower mortality rates and things of that nature. But that's the, that's the media, which is the or so-called media, uh, which is, of course, as you know, the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party. And so uh, before I get to that audio uh, of the speech uh, for tonight's show, I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring in – we got some callers on, but we only have one who's uh, looked to chime in right now, and that is our good friend – uh, from Hawaii, and that is Joseph. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, good, Robert. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Forgive the noise. I am speaking to you while I'm mobile. Um, I will be going back to work on Friday. They lifted the bans on uh, clubs, and uh, so I'll be able to go back. Yeah. But uh, I go back with a heavy heart, and you know what? When you were mentioning about uh, what the Nazis were doing, uh, what a coinky-dinky, because last night I watched a movie. It's a German subtitle. came out in 2018. I would encourage anyone to watch it. It's called Never Look Away. And it's about how the Nazis in the 1940, they hired the uh, SS doctors to be uh, in charge of the Health Hereditary Board. And their mission was to extinguish any person who had a mental illness or a birth deformity or who were mentally delayed. And that was their medical system. You couldn't say no. I'm not going to give uh, the rest of the information away. Otherwise, it would spoil you from watching the movie. But it really is a good heart-wrenching movie. And uh, you couldn't have said it any better. It really comes down to what I was saying at the end of the show last week. We have two different visions of America, the left and the right, two polar opposite visions and two different futures at stake. And that's what it's really all about in November is which America do we want to have? Which future do we want to have? The left wants the America they currently have created and even more. Republicans, they want to preserve uh, not everyone, but you know they want to preserve. Apologize for the noise. They want to preserve. Um, they want to preserve. You know all the accomplishment Donald Trump has achieved and and going forward. Maybe not all on the same page, but um, you know they definitely want to preserve that. So that's that's really what it all boils down to. Everyone has a choice, you know. 
Hold on one second. Thank you. So everyone has a choice. We all have the free will. You know, we could all come to our, our conclusions. And we have that power in the ballot box in November. And we need to use that power wisely. And so, you know, I'm not here on the show trying to convince anyone of which way to sway. You know, most people by now probably already have their minds made up about that. Uh, but I am definitely here to, you know, express my views and express my discontent of, you know, the, what's going on right now in our country. And, Robert, I don't feel like I'm living in America anymore. 40 years old. I've never seen anything like this in my 40 years of existence. Never. Nothing even remotely close. I mean, the Democrats for many years did a good job of hiding their true views and platforms. Now they don't care to hide it anymore. And I'll admit, no. the Republicans hide it, but I'd rather go with the party that hides it than a party that's embracing it and espousing it publicly. I'd rather go with that. And that's just my personal choice. That's my personal decision. But I'd rather, I'd rather choose the devil I know than the devil I don't know. And I'll defer it back to you, Robert. It's always an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be on your show. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And yes, and I know we had the discussion for those who, if you want to know what he's alluding to last week, uh, you know, with one of our friends and callers, you know, you know about the Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, you know, if you're a long-term listener, I mean, I wish we had more of an Irish system. I, I definitely think things would be less uh, – I really do think that things would be less uh, corrupt, basically, if we had more than a – uh, more than just a two-party system, but but be that as it may, is you know this 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 is what we've got. I mean, this is what we got is is this, and the Democrats do not represent the United States anymore. They just don't. They want to have uh, the United States ripped down. At least that's how I see it, because they want it to crumble down so they can review it, reshape it. Uh, as Barack Obama said, remember, you know this, is, and I think this is the time to push back against the, the Democrats and their propaganda arm machine, the alphabet, what I call the alphabet media, you know, CNN, MSNBC, CBS, and the like, um, because they're planning. We guys planned what again? What ex-President Obama stated uh, to fundamentally change America. And when before I get to the the audio here, is that. You know, I'm so tempted to play that full one. I might just go ahead and do that, um, and it'll just get us to the bottom of an hour because I, I just think it's sick. I hate playing audios that I don't hate, but you know, I'd rather not play videos that are that are full length like that because it takes the time for uh, discussion. I'm just another you know nine ten minutes more of discussion, um, and we do have others on. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll play it at the end of the uh, of the show, depending on how things pan out. But I'll go ahead and do the. Um, well, I'm kind of torn because I got a short version of of JFK. I'll, you know what? I'll, what do you think? Uh, what do you think? You think it'd be good uh, to play just the half the speech? You know, for the JFK's moon speech, which again, it's it's one I want to play last week. It's not as much about uh, the you know about us going to the moon, which you go you know back to the moon when, when you know that I'm something I'm very passionate about. But it's that, that's not why I want to play the clip, and that's why I kind of want to play the fuller clip than just the moon speech 
is because when you're listening to the speech and you're listening to JFK, remember why you're listening is and his words and how he how he views America and things of that nature. This guy was a Democrat, and compare the way his vision is for America to what the vision of the Democrat Party today is. And so that's why it baffles me why any at least patriotic Democrat, a Democrat that you know still loves America, I don't see how out of just loyalty to their party, how they can vote for Biden and the House, the people in the House of Representatives or the Senate. How can they vote for any of these Democrats? Because these Democrats are, are lockstep. You don't ever hear any Democrats that are not lockstep with what the media is promoting, or, you know, because they're, they're hand in hand. They're shoulder to shoulder, certainly. And so, I mean, you don't hear the Tulsi Gabbard. You know, you don't hear anything for Tulsi Gabbard. You don't hear, um, you know, gosh, I, I can't even uh, – to be honest, I, it's been so long since I've, I know there was a couple of Democrats who actually made a little bit of sense. I mean, one was even running in the web. You don't hear anything from Webb who was running in the primaries. You don't hear anything um, – oh, I, I, I haven't heard from him in such a while. I can't remember his name. The guy from West Virginia, the Democrat from West Virginia. Uh, you know, you don't hear from the more any. Uh, you don't hear from any of the moderate Democrats anymore. They're there. There's a few of them. You just don't ever see them. They used to be on. You used to find them on Fox News when you're not even finding them on Fox News anymore, and you're not you're not seeing them anywhere. Where are the moderates? They're gone. You know, and, and they. You know, you'll hear people tout that Biden is a moderate. But the thing is, is Biden, as we know, because of his, you know. It's mental with what's going on with him mentally, which I think he's on the, you know, the beginning stages of Alzheimer's um, is that or maybe even maybe just senility, but possibly even Alzheimer's. But he, I mean, it doesn't matter whether he was a moderate because he'll either he has or he will be moved, you know, to the left. Um, and so. Let me go ahead and I'm going to get that, that audio key up because I don't want it to get it too much further past the uh, the other hour. Because, I mean, I've got other audios. You know, one of the other ones I want to play tonight is about nine and a half minutes, but you're not going to want to miss that one. I mean, this one – and there's a video attached to that one, and you're, and you're not going to want to miss it uh, because that is something that uh, – the title of it is the audio, and the video is there. And, you know, if you're listening to uh, the, the – uh, the podcast, you know, the recording, you know, watch the video, uh, and you can find that again at the www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com on the the newsroom. And that video is that they tried to warn us in 1984. That's an abbreviated title from it, uh, but it's it's you. It's amazing. What, I mean, what it is basically is a guy who defected from Russia. This uh, long-term plan. And, I mean, and you see what's happening. Remember, this is in 1984. I mean, also in the very beginning, you'll hear um, uh, Malcolm X in the beginning of that video uh, talking about uh, white liberals and black liberals, uh, and it's amazing. Uh, and so. You know, we'll, we'll, and we'll get to that because it's just an amazing audio when you watch it, it's an amazing video. Uh, so we will get to that. So let me go ahead and key this up. And again, folks, as you're listening to this, uh, remember this is actually coming from you know a Democrat, or at least what the Democrat Party was. 
And I'm going to go ahead and mute mics while we play that. College, noted for knowledge, in a city noted for progress, in a state noted for strength, and we stand in need of all three. For we meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. Despite the striking fact that most of the scientists that the world has ever known are alive and working today, despite the fact that this nation's own scientific manpower is doubling every 12 years in a rate of growth more than three times that of our population as a whole, despite that, the vast stretches of the unknown and the unanswered and the unfinished still far outstrip our collective comprehension. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we have come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of man's recorded history in a time span of about a half a century. Stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced man had learned to use the skins of animals to cover them. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelters. Only five years ago, man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles and airplanes became available. Only last week did we develop penicillin and television and nuclear power. And now if America's new spacecraft succeeds in reaching Venus, we will have literally reached the stars before midnight tonight. This is a breathtaking pace. And such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old. New ignorance, new problems, new dangers. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. William Bradford, speaking in 1630 of the founding of the Plymouth Bay Colony, said that all great and honorable actions are accompanied with great difficulties. 
and both must be enterprised and overcome with answerable courage. If this capsule history of our progress teaches us anything, it is that man in his quest for knowledge and progress is determined and cannot be deterred. The exploration of space will go ahead, whether we join in it or not. And it is one of the great adventures of all time. And no nation which expects to be the leader of other nations can expect to stay behind in this race for space. Those who came before us made certain that this country rode the first waves of the Industrial Revolution, the first waves of modern invention, and the first wave of nuclear power. And this generation does not intend to founder in the backwash of the coming age of space. We mean to be a part of it. We mean to lead it. For the eyes of the world now look into space, to the moon and to the planets beyond. And we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom and peace. We have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge and understanding. Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first. In short, our leadership in science and industry, our hopes for peace and security, our obligations to ourselves as well as others, all require us to make this effort to solve these mysteries, to solve them for the good of all men, and to become the world's leading spacefaring nation. We set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won, and they must be won and used for the progress of all people. For space science, like nuclear science and all technology, has no conscience of its own. Whether it will become a force for good or ill depends on man. And only if the United States occupies a position of preeminence can we help decide whether this new ocean will be a sea of peace or a new terrifying theater of war. I do not say that we should or will go unprotected against the hostile misuse of space any more than we go unprotected against the hostile use of land or sea. But I do say that space can be explored and mastered without feeding the fires of war, without repeating the mistakes that man has made in extending his writ around this globe of ours. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? 
And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. It is for these reasons that I regard the decision last year to shift our efforts in space from low to high gear as among the most important decisions that will be made during my incumbency in the office of the presidency. In the last 24 hours, we have seen facilities now being created for the greatest and most complex exploration in man's history. We have felt the ground shake and the air shattered by the testing of a Saturn C-1 booster rocket, many times as powerful as the Atlas which launched John Glenn, generating power equivalents to 10,000 automobiles with their accelerator on the floor. We have seen the site where five F-1 rocket engines, each one as powerful as all eight engines of the Saturn combined, will be clustered together to make the advanced Saturn missile assembled in a new building to be built at Cape Canaveral as tall as a 48-story structure, as wide as a city block, and as long as two lengths of this field. Within these last 19 months, at least 45 satellites have circled the Earth. Some 40 of them were made in the United States of America, and they were far more sophisticated and supplied far more knowledge to the people of the world than those of the Soviet Union. The Mariner spacecraft... <laughs> the Mariner spacecraft, now on its way to Venus, is the most intricate instrument in the history of space science. The accuracy of that shot is comparable to firing a missile from Cape Canaveral and dropping it in this stadium between the 40-yard lines. Transit satellites are helping our ships at sea to steer a safer course. Tyrus satellites have given us unprecedented warnings of hurricanes and storms, and will do the same for forest fires and icebergs. We have had our failures, but so have others, even if they do not admit them, and they may be less public. To be sure, To be sure, we are behind, and will be behind for some time, in man flight. But we do not intend to stay behind, and in this decade, we shall make up and move ahead. The growth of our science and education will be enriched by new knowledge of our universe and environment by new techniques of learning and mapping and observation, by new tools and computers for industry, medicine, and the home, as well as the school. 
technical institutions such as Rice will reap the harvest of these gains. And finally, the space effort itself, while still in its infancy, has already created a great number of new companies and tens and thousands of new jobs. Space and related industries are generating new demand in investment and skilled personnel. And this city and this state and this region will share greatly in this growth. What was once the furthest outpost on the old frontier of the West will be the furthest outpost on the new frontier of science and space. Houston. Your city of Houston, with its manned spacecraft center, will become the heart of a large scientific and engineering community. During the next five years, the National Aeronautic and Space Administration expects to double the number of scientists and engineers in this area to increase its outlays for salaries and expenses to $60 million a year, to invest some $200 million in plants and laboratory facilities, and to direct our contract for new space efforts over $1 billion from this center in this city. To be sure, all this costs us all a good deal of money. This year's space budget is three times what it was in January 1961, and it is greater than the space budget of the previous eight years combined. That budget now stands at $5,400,000,000 a year, a staggering sum, though somewhat less than we pay for cigarettes and cigars every year. Space expenditures, space expenditures will soon rise some more from 40 cents per person per week to more than 50 cents a week for every man, woman, and child in the United States. For we have given this program a high national priority, even though I realize that this is in some measure an act of faith and vision, for we do not now know what benefits await us. But if I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses, several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this and do all this and do it right and do it first before this dictator's out, then we must be bold. I'm the one who's doing all the work, so uh, we just want you to stay cool for a minute. However, I think we're going to do it. 
and I think that uh, we must pay what needs to be paid. I don't think we ought to waste any money, but I think we ought to do the job. And this will be done in the decade of the 60s. It may be done while some of you are still here at school at this college and university. It will be done during the terms of office of some of the people who sit here on this platform. But it will be done, and it will be done before the end of this decade. And I am delighted that this university is playing a part in putting a man on the moon as part of a great national effort of the United States of America. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it. He said, because it is there. Well, space is there. And we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Thank you. Okay, uh, I appreciate uh, going through that. Tell that that was a 17 or so minutes of uh, audio, but it really, at least to me, did not seem that long. Uh, there's, gosh, there's so much to be said. Uh, if you would like to chime in, I do see other callers. Push one on your number dial. Uh, we'll get in. Um, I'm going to make my observations from that and then bring uh, Joseph back in. There's a lot of things, uh, you know, that, that stuck out. Uh, and I'm just going to go this in order of, of my observation, you know, during the audio. Is, you know, when he said, you know, stay where we are a little longer. And for a group of uh, people, for a party that say that they're progressives, and progressives mean, you know, prog you know, is progress, right? That the, there's 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 not any progress. The, I mean, they're actually they're, we're we're moving backwards. I believe with the Democrat Party, they don't they don't have a vision for America. Uh, they don't have a vision for America. Uh, and he said, you know, there's many who w wish to look behind them. And I think that's they're trying to rehash all of the, the slavery and this and of, of that nature. And actually, one of the audios I'm hoping to play to tonight uh, refers to the, the Barbary uh, Coast or something like that, where, you know, you had a lot of your Europeans, white Europeans, who were sold into slavery, uh, you know, in northern Africa. So, I mean, it's not like blacks were the only people in the country to ever, you know, you know, to ever, at least blacks, I should say, maybe not in the country, but, you know, blacks to be slaves in, in the world. I mean, that's also been, you know, whites have been slaves too. I mean, the uh, the Jews, they were made slaves. The Israelites, <laughs> they were slaves, right? Um, and then a, a point he made, and, and this is where we don't hear about space travel that much, at least not from the Democrats. Is that you know, and is the realization? Look, we're we're going to be you know, space travel is going to move on, whether the United States does it or not. I've got an article I'm hoping to get to tonight uh, that talks about that, uh, and so that's one of the you know, it's going it's going to move on without us. And again, you know, I, I hope I could get to that uh, you know that article uh, and to, to, you know this evening. Uh, but anyway. 
And so, you know, just be uh, so tempted to just go ahead and bring that in, but I don't want to. I don't want to overly talk, uh, you know, on things. But anyway, uh, because this this list is is as long. I want to be able to bring you know people back in, and again, maybe I'll get to that get back to that audio. But you know, he's talking about a banner of freedom and peace. I mean, look at what it's right now. Are would you think that they're the uh, the party of freedom and peace right now? I mean, you know, if you have a conservative thought or, or, or have a conservative message, you know, liberals just want to shut you down. They want to shut you up. The Democrat Party even wants to do that in league with some of these social media places such as Google. I mean, Google's terrible. I mean, looking up Google to find a cake recipe, man, that's great. But trying to find some some kind, you know, some conservative article or find, you know, something to counter the narrative of the liberal media, and good luck to you. Good luck to you. You know, trying to find something there. So, saying that they you know, have a a peace and freedom. I mean, these people are not even doing anything about these people tearing down statues. Which, again, as we said earlier tonight, you know, hey, that's what the that's what the Nazis did. That's what the fascists did. They're, I mean, so the Democrats, to you know, people who are still loyal to the Democrat Party, they're not the Democrat Party, as I'm pointing out here, of JFK. Okay, you're being loyal to a party that I don't think it's a party that you even could recognize uh, these days. And remember, in part of the speech, it says, you know, the, the space program, you know, and I'm, and I'm talking not as much about the space program and, and traveling to space to moon Mars, reigned in the space program and, and what's ingrained in him as a, a Democrat. He, he was a Democrat with vision, you know, and he said it's for the good of all men, for all people. You know, so this was a party. This was a guy. This was a Democrat president that actually worked. Actually worked. Didn't just give it lip service. Actually worked and had ideas that could bring people together. Remember, when it came to race relations, race relations actually worsened under the Obama administration. You know, that's why. You know, so he actually was to have program and. Namely, this program that can bring all men, all people together. And he mentioned that, you know, if the United States and, and the Democrats buy all this violence that they're allowing to happen, you know, and what, and what they're trying to do with destroying, look, look allowing or look, this, you know, the coronavirus, destroying that. But what, they, what they're failing to show, he said, the United States has to be a world of prominence. A place of prominence, okay, to be a leader in the world. If we're not in a place of prominence, then what, you know, what's going to happen to the rest of the world if the United States isn't there? Because remember, there have been times when you had like, you know, the British Empire. How did the British Empire, you know, treat folks? How about the, the you know, the different dynasties of China and how China uh, treats their people today? You know, look how, you know, talk, let's talk about Africa. You had Africans who were selling their own people into slavery. You know, so, you know, we're not talking, you know, but and, and look at all the positive that the United States has done in the world wars, getting people out. <laughs> you know, and, and you talk about, you know, no, no strife. You know, let's not have strife. When these, if you look at the media and, and even the Democrats, they're stoking it. The Democrats, if you are a Democrat right now, you know, your party is actually stoking the hatred. And I've said this many times. I think it's the, the media 
it's the media that's actually stoking, you know, and fomenting the hate we'll have, you know, right and left to each other. Um, and he and he talked about doing things not because they're easy, but because they are hard. Okay, and the Democrats today they want people to think, oh, it's so easy. The the government can take care of us. You know, we don't have to work hard. We can get our. Remember when Obama was running? I mean, there's people out there saying, oh my gosh, I don't have to worry about my car payments. I don't have to worry about making my my rent anymore. You know, I remember seeing an audio where people actually believed that if Obama got elected, they wouldn't have to worry about those type of things. <clears throat> Guess what? They were wrong. You know, that they, they were wrong with that. And and, un, and and look at Trump. Look at the you know what he's done with the unemployment rates until uh, except in, you know until COVID. You know, for all the different you know minorities and just that every and the, when it comes to their. You know, to the unemployment rate amongst even the even the minorities, and and so and and why? Because the different. Well, we that's not the, the topic on on how it got there, but it, it did get there. Uh, and he said that you know he made it. Remember in his speech, he said that actually because of all the benefits of going into space and going to the moon, you know, is was the top of his agenda. I think that was, and at least in the speech, he said. You know, going to the moon was the top of his agenda, and I think that you know, hope, hopefully that could be a top of you know Trump's agenda, and maybe that could be used to bring people together. Now, I, I do have an audio I'm going to play later, which because of the mindset that people are in, and that that's I believe coming from the the audio. I definitely want people to see, hear that and to watch the video. Uh, but it, 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 and we do realize it's becoming harder and harder to, you know, change the hearts and minds of, of people, even the Democrats. I mean, it, it's hard even if they even I mean, there's Democrats who said this ain't this ain't my party. This ain't you know, this ain't my party, but yet they'll still vote for Democrats just, you know, for that. What they're what they're doing is they're they're not being being loyal they're being loyal to the party but are they really being loyal to the principles of the party that isn't that that doesn't abide by those principles any longer um and you know so you don't and you don't hear any democrats talking about you know these great grand visions of america okay they're always talking about well how can they help benefit the world when these democrats need to realize look you represent the citizens of the United States. You don't represent the citizens of the world. You represent the United States, and that, that's who you represent. And I'm almost done here. Um, and, and, and actually, you know, we talk about, you know, spending the money on the space program to help America, to help Americans, and to help the citizens of America. This is JFK saying this. You know, talk about the money they could go to Americans, but instead what the Democrats want to do, they want to spend all this money to illegal immigrants. They want to spend all this money on foreign countries. They want us to, you know, I, I, thought, I always find it ironic how one of the Democrats' favorite phrases is pay their fair share, you know, the European, I mean, or NATO, to pay their fair share of their own protection. Oh, they're like, look, you have to spend at least 2% of your GDP on your own military protection. And that's what you're supposed to do, and you're not doing it. And we're the America are footing the bill. Well, the Democrats were okay with that. You know, so here we are spending our money instead of, let's say, our space program and, and the betterment of our people, you know, then 
excuse me, you know, they want to spend, you know, all of our, you know, taxpayer money on, again, illegal immigrants, you know, on foreign countries. And then one thing, lastly, and he talked about knowledge and peace. Um, he had a vision of knowledge and peace. Now, you, you know, he had hope and change. That's probably where, you know, maybe that's where Obama got his hope and change, you know, from uh, Jeff K's knowledge and peace. But the hope and change that Obama was talking about was not reflective of, you know, knowledge and peace, you know, when his, you know, hope, his hope, uh, you know, was fundamentally changing America is what his hope was. Uh, and one thing, you know, again, you know, self-described pagan here, but uh, what they're talking about is, you know, he's like, you know, God's blessing. You don't really t- hear many Democrats unless it sounds like they're, um, you, know, you know, pandering basically, uh, you know, talk about, you know, God's blessing. So I do see other folks on the line, push one on your number dial. Um, and I will you know, get you into the show. But let's go ahead and uh, get your take on that, uh, Joseph. Um, and so, you know, you heard uh, all the video and then my commentary on it. Um, well, okay. <clears throat> Good. Real quick, Joseph. And I'm going to pose this, this question to you, Joseph, and I'm going to answer this as well. This is from sure. uh, our chat, Lightweight, uh, Lightweight in the chat. Um, and we definitely want to – you know, you could call into at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight, but you are welcome to, you know, again stay in the chat. It says you said the Democrats don't. Well, no, okay, it says you said the Democrats don't have a vision. I'm going to post this to you, Joseph, and then to myself. So give me your take on the on the audio, my comments, and then these are questions uh, posed to you, and then I'll go and answer these myself. And then if other people want to chime in, push one number dial, we'll get you in. Says you said the Democrats don't have a vision. What is the Republicans' vision? And I could tell you that right now, lightweight. Uh, but I, I am going to confer to our caller, and then I will get back to you. Says what have the Republicans done other than China's most favorite nation? That's Bush. NAFTA, Bush, NAU, Keystone Pipeline. They gave Canadian companies eminent domain over American citizens, private property, executive order. Uh, look how the Obama judges – yeah, look how many of Obama's judges the Republicans confirmed. I agree. I am not a fan of the Republican Party. Okay? I mean, as I said earlier, you, you may have not heard this because you didn't join us, and you, you may be new to the show, Lightweight, and we definitely appreciate you coming to the show. Uh, you're able to follow the show on Blog Talk Radio by pushing the follow button, if you like. Um, but I've, I've always liked, wow, there's a lot of, he just typed a lot of stuff there, or copying and pasted it. But regardless, I'll, I'll read that off later, Lightweight. Um, you know, but I, I support more of like a, the Irish political system. I think that's the most representative uh system that basically on the globe is, is their system because not only do they do have multiple parties they also have a press they also have in the, the simplest of forms a it's, it's complicated but my description is simplistic is they have representative voting whereas you know you vote in the order of your preference it's preferential voting so you have preferential voting where you vote for a candidate based off your presence. So I'd like this person first with the T-shuck, or in that instance, that's um, you know, or, you know, that's a prime minister, or you know, I, I like this guy for my representative of this party, and then this one, and this one, and this one, and you put it in your preference. It's a whole mathematical thing, 
on how they do that. But, I mean, that's why I prefer. I don't like the duopoly. I think the duopoly hasn't really done much for us. Uh, but we could go more in the details, and, and let Joseph answer that, too, and anyone else on the line. But go ahead, Joseph. Uh, I appreciate it. Go ahead. Absolutely, Robert. He spoke of American strength. He spoke of American unity. He spoke of American innovation. He spoke of American courage and fortitude. Um, unfortunately, he's probably rolling over in his grave right now. And uh, the Democrats have had a long, long history of trying to erase their past. They haven't had the best past at all. I mean, if you go back to the Civil War, the Confederates uh, were Democrats. If you go back to the segregation days when they called them Dixiecrats, uh, it was the Democratic Party that was for segregation in the southern states. Uh, It was actually JFK who had the courage and fortitude to stand against his own party and try to collaborate with the Republican Party who who were for and advocates of the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and were advocates of, uh, you know, the civil rights movements. It wasn't the Democrats. So I think the problem today is the major disconnect with our, our youth, our young people who have no clue that the Democrats have a very deep, dark history, and they have a very good record of sweeping it under the rug and, you know, eradicating it. And so if you look at the Democrats from 40 years ago, uh, they were calling themselves the Dixiecrats. They were lynching African Americans on trees. They were KKK leaders. Today, the Democrat narrative is they've always been for the minorities. They've always been for the African Americans. They've always been for income inequality, but then if that's the case, what happened to eight years of having the first African-American president, uh, Barack Obama? If that's the case, why is there black-on-black crime astronomically shooting out in major cities like Chicago and New York and L.A., but you don't hear Black Lives Matters talking about that? You don't hear... uh, Al Sharpton talking about that, or Barack Obama talking about that, or Kamala Harris talking about that. They're not talking about the, 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 the over 20 fatalities that occurred in Chicago alone over this weekend. 14 fatalities in Baltimore. They're not talking about that. And so JFK will undoubtedly go down in our history as one of the greatest progressives Democratic presidents of our of our modern era and of the 20th century, and um, I think that's where the major disconnect is: is that the establishment and the elites have done a very good job of brainwashing the youth into thinking that the Democratic Party is the party for uh, that advocates for uh, Black lives and that advocates for the minorities and that advocates for income inequality and advocates for criminal justice reform, and advocates for the, uh, for the lower middle class. If you look at their platform, their platform clearly states they're not for any of that. Uh, and not only that, their actions don't warrant it either. So um, that's my thoughts on that. 
And you're right. I'm not a fan of the Republican Party either. Uh, I used to be. Not anymore. But like you said, Robert, we only have two viable alternatives. Which vision of America do we want? Which future do we want? I choose the future of freedom, not tyranny. I choose the future of peace and prosperity, not anarchy and violence. I choose the future of unity and equality, not division and racial hatred and tribalism. I choose the future of innovation and the future of continuous economic prosperity and peace with our allies and continued peace in the Middle East. And the fact that Trump has eradicated ISIS and all of the accomplishments that he has achieved in such a short amount of time, I choose that vision to continue forward. And I'll defer back to you, Robert. Robert, are you there? Hello? All this time, I muted my own mic. <laughs> oh, I okay. muted my own I, mic. I was wondering. I was getting a drink. Yeah, I was getting a drink of water, and and I didn't want to. You, you guys hear me go? Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> I muted my mic, but so, thank you for saying, Robert. Because I was talking. I was actually talking right after you did, <laughs> and didn't even realize that that, that people would hear. But yeah, lightweight. Uh, he or she. Um, uh, hopefully I'll get your list there, but I want to also make comment uh, about, you know, I'm not, I mean, I was a Republican probably up to 2012, very loyal, to be honest. Um, I left the party in 2012. Uh, I did vote and support George W. Bush, much to my regret. I've learned much later afterwards about, you know, about Bush. But at the time, you know, I, you know, wasn't as, you know, knowledgeable of a lot of, you know, well, I mean, you didn't know when I first voted for him, and then after the first year, I thought that he would handle, you know, what was going on at the time better than the Democrat. And, you know, and so normally, you know, I supported third parties. I supported Perot. Uh, in 2012, I actually voted for uh, Virgil Goode of the Constitution Party uh, instead of Romney. I mean, I, I, I railed against Romney for months. Uh, so I'm like, in good – two things. One, in good conscience, I couldn't vote for the guy. Um, because, I mean, it's like if I'm going to rail on somebody for so many months and he gets the nomination, then I turn around and vote for him. For me, I, I, I figured that would be pretty hypocritical for me to do that. Uh, and so I, you know, I voted for, uh, for Virgil Goode from the Constitution Party. And, but this time, whereas even though I know there's a libertarian who's going to try to, to run and I support third parties and I wish we had a multi-party system, and again, more in line with what Ireland has. But the fact of the matter is, is that, as, as I said in the, in the chat, the lightweight, is that, yay or, I mean, for good or ill, for good or ill, um, is for, for good or ill, we have to, there, there, there's a side. We have to choose a side. And the side you choose isn't going to, isn't going to adhere to every principle that you have. I voted for Virgil Goode because the Constitution Party pretty much fell in line with 
everything that you know you know I say I stand for. Um, but this time, the stakes are too high. The stakes are too high. The kind I've been. I mean, I'm not going to say how old I am. I'm going to be alluding to it. But I mean, let's just say I've been following politics as long as Joseph has been alive, and so that might tell you something. Um, and and I've never uh, and I've never seen as stark of a contrast, not only between the two presidential candidates, but I've never seen as such a stark contrast. Between the two parties. I mean, you literally have one party now. And again, that's why one of the reasons why I brought up JFK. JFK was a Democrat, but JFK was pro-American, pro-America. The Democrats you have today are not. They are who are, you know, anti or the state or globalists or and there's you know corporatists things of that nature and I'm sure that exists but Trump isn't one of them Trump is one actually has vision for the America Trump's not a Republican he's certainly not he's not a Democrat but he's not even a Republican either Trump is a pocket and when when he says American for America first he I believe you know I believe he's shown you know at least more so than anyone else has shown American America first. I mean, I, I can't even believe I'm even going to say this, but if Trump gets a second term, he very well may be – him, in my eyes at least, may even surpass in, in, in great – not greatness, but you know, as presidents go, he, the way I view him may even top Reagan if he gets another four years. Okay, and, and high esteem. I might even hold Trump in higher esteem as what a president has done for the nation, for the nation, for America, than than even Ronald Reagan. Given him maybe if he get, if he has another four years, I think he may, he, he may surpass that. At least in my eyes, and maybe that of others. You know. So, oh, welcome Suzette, to the chat. Um, and so, yeah, we're not, we're not like yay yay rah rah Republicans, but the thing is, is this, you know, and and if you've a long term listen to the show, that's generally not the take I've ever taken. And I've been doing the show since 2012. I've been doing the show for eight years. Okay, and most of the time you haven't seen me rah 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 Republicans Republicans. I'm more about issues than the party. But the Democrat Party is not a party that supports America or the citizens of America. They are purposely trying to divide us with the help of the propaganda arm, which is the so-called media. Okay, they're in league with each other, and I'm, I, you know, so I got another audio, you know, that I'm going to play in a little bit because it's the top of the hour, um, and this one is a, is an audio I, you know, I, I don't want people to miss because when I, I mean. When I was looking at the, the videos and things of that nature from the website, and you could go to the website, www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, go to the video page. You could get the videos you know, that I made the audio from. It, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm, you're going to be riveted to, the, you know, to whatever you're listening to when you hear this because it's amazing because you're going to hear what's on this audio and then later watch it on the video, and you're going to be like, holy crap. 
this is what this you you see this happening. You see this going on. And, it, and it's amazing. And it, it, it goes to the Democrat Party. Now, you may have, um, you know, you know, so what I want to, you know, so because I said I would, and I like to try to um, keep my word. And, and then what I'm going to do is uh, go ahead and, and read these off here from Lightweight. And Lightweight, you're welcome to call us at 347 I'm sorry, 347-945-7428. I'm going to go through this, get some, some comments from Joseph, and then I'm going to get that other audio, which is, wow. So this is Congress, uh, Congressman George H. Bush wrote the bill that funds Planned Parenthood in 1969, and President Richard Nixon signed it into law in 1970 just in time for Roe v. Wade. The vote on Roe v. Wade was 72. Those justices supporting the case's pro-choice outcome were as follows: includes the president nominating each of the president's party affiliation: Harry Blackham, Nixon Republican; Warren uh, William Douglas, FDR Democrat; William Brennan, Eisenhower Republican. Uh, and, you know, okay. And then there's what about? Uh, I'm going to get back to your list. Uh, well, hey, I'm not I'm John Roberts. I'm not happy with John Roberts, but anyway, um, it says uh, William Douglas, FDR, William Brennan, Eisenhower, Potter Stewart, uh, Eisenhower Republican, Thurman Marshall, uh, LBJ Democrat, uh, Lewis Powell, Nixon Republican. These, those dissenting Roe versus Wade, only two, and both were not Republican presidential nominees on the court. Um, Byron White Kennedy, who we um, Talked, we just had an audio cut from, and William Rehnquist, Republican Chief Justice under Reagan, are Nixon nominated four justices, three concurred on Roe v. Wade, arguably a decisive factor in the outcome of the case. It says Republican Party. Oh, okay, I already addressed that. It says now when you say the Republican Party gave a socialism, if, if later on if you want to elaborate with that, Sarah Palin had two sanctuary cities. I'm not sure about that. I've never heard about that. And we are not Ireland. We have a constitution. We heard that in 2000. Okay, we heard what in 2000. Um, yeah, if you want to elaborate on that, we are. Not, I know we're not Ireland. I'm stating what I think is a more representative uh, form of voting and elections. Is the way the Irish government Irish government does it. I'm obviously stating my preference and why. I think there'd be less corruption. I think more people would actually have an opportunity to vote for the people they want instead of quote voting for the lesser evil. So I think people would be feeling that they're voting with principle instead of okay, I got to vote for this person or this party. I think it gives them a lot more choices. Um, and yeah, yeah, the Republicans gave us global comment. I'm not. I mean, look at New World Order. You know. George Bush, you know, the older, okay? And so vote Trump. He comes from the cult. I mean, I am going to vote Trump. I mean, I'm, I've got no qualms about it. I'm definitely going to vote for uh, for Trump. So anyway, so what I'm going to do here is uh, – did you want to add anything more to that, Joseph, before I, I get this next audio? And the next audio that I'm going to play is, you know, definitely you'll want to watch the video um, as well. Uh, I mean – No, I, I completely echo the sentiment. I've always been a fan of uh, President Ronald Reagan. I think he will also go down in history as one of the greatest Republican presidents in modern history or the 20th century. 
but I also think that Trump has uh, surpassed Reagan in uh, many, uh, many uh, endeavors. It's uh, almost four years of uh, being president. And, um, you know, uh, I'm all for, uh, I wish we had another uh, third viable party, as I mentioned previously on your show. I wish it didn't have to be the lesser of the two evils. And uh, I just hope that I will live long enough to see the birth of a third viable party. I hope I can at least see that in my lifetime. And I'll defer back to you, Robert. Well, and I certainly, and I certainly do too. And and uh, and then uh, thank you, Suzette. Uh, you're you're speaking, uh, chatting with Lightweight there, and the and there. I appreciate it. And then one of the things uh, that Lightweight brings up, and, and I just brought this up many a year, uh, because we do hear that all the time, and. We hear, oh, this is the most important election of our lifetime. I mean, I always kind of uh, elbow Sean Hannity uh, when he says it because he's been saying it for every election that I remember, you know, talking (laughs) or him talking. And, um, you know, I kind of elbow when he does that because it's like, Sean, you say this every election season. You know, it's kind of if you look back, you know, he, he does that. And. And, and, and here's the thing, and then I'm bring it up. I'm gonna bring this audio. I, w- I I felt okay. I felt good actually about voting for uh, voting for Virgil Good in 2012 instead of Romney. One again, as I said earlier, I railed against Romney, and so I couldn't in good conscience end up voting for for him. Uh, you know, after doing all that. And two, I did not. I wasn't. And maybe I was naive a little bit, but I did not – I wasn't as concerned about an Obama administration as I was about a Hillary Clinton administration. I never hated Obama. I never – you know, I didn't like him. I didn't like his policies, but I didn't hate him. I didn't fear him. I didn't fear his administration or concern maybe. I, don't, I, I, didn't, I didn't fear him. You know, my, it's, I didn't fear Hillary Clinton, but I was really concerned, and I feel like she was the most person who ever ran for president. And I just couldn't, you know, think, oh my gosh, who's been so corrupt, actually become the president of the United States. Um, so I mean, I did. I, I'll be honest. I loathed Hillary Clinton. I could not stand the thought of her being uh, the president. You know, and I was literally concerned if she would get elected, what would happen to America? And so Trump got elected. And now we're fighting for you know Trump to be reelected, and I'm concerned. I'm concerned what would happen if Biden gets because Biden's not going to be the moderate Biden that maybe his past record uh, you know may have shown. Okay, it's not going to it's not going to be that. Okay, and so he for one. I, I, I said earlier, I think he has the beginnings of uh, either um, Alzheimer's or he's just becoming senile. I would say that if he got elected in a year, uh, he stepped down and uh, and uh, you know what? I'll oh, shoot. Kamala Harris will be our president because I really do think that's who he's going to pick. Or he might surprise us, say Michelle Obama. But it's probably going to be. I think it's going to be Kamala Harris. And within a year of a Biden election. Uh, she'll be the president because he'll step down for health reasons. And so Crats are not an America-loving 
party. They're not. They proved it over and over again that they're not. They want open borders. They're okay with all this violence in the street. They're okay with us uh, with you know our history being destroyed. I mean, there's people. I heard on on the news today, if you could, you know, that these people tearing down statues were tearing down a, like a, a soldier, a statue of a soldier from the Union. They t- did you hear? Do you understand what that is? The Union. They're tearing down a statue from the Union, the, and, and then they, they they tore down a, a a statue of Washington and burned a flag around the statue. I mean, they're spray painting Lincoln. I mean, it's like it's for them. It's not about who anymore. It's just about destruction. And the Democrats are okay with it. The Democrats are okay. Okay, with the, think about it. The, if the Democrats are okay. With these people destroying historical monuments, I think that's a good analogy of what else they're okay with with being destroyed. They're okay with America being destroyed. They proved it because they want the economy to be destroyed because the way that their you know their narrative around COVID. You know they they try you know they're okay with they're okay with that you know with the economy, you know they're okay with all this destruction going on. Uh, with this, with the Black Lives Matter, and so they're okay with the destruction there. They're okay with the destruction of America, because if America is weak, then they can allow the you know their their, their globalist social their social globalist aspirations to come closer to fruition. And I think that is actually a great segue uh, into the um, well. Okay, let me tell you about the Republican vision. This is not about North South, it's about transition to socialism. I agree. Here's the rep- okay. The Democrat is not just socialism. Okay. I dang near think think it's fascism. Because what they're doing, what they're allowing now, lightweight, is they are closer to fascists are, not the the Democrats are bearing more what the fascists are than than socialism or a combination thereof. Now the Republican vision I'm not saying you're not hear you're not hearing me say here that the Republicans have a big vision. The person who's got the vision is President Donald J. Trump. There's your vision. That's the vision. It's not really the Republican Party. It's his. And Trump isn't a Republican. He is a populist. He's a populist. So I'm not talking about a Republican vision. I'm talking about a Donald Trump vision. Your pull, your pull away. Okay, your, put your pull away. I don't understand what she means by that. Um, pull your line in. Okay, <laughs> but anyway, that that's what I'm about. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and play this audio. I don't know. We'll, we'll, when you call into that, tell me more what you mean about pull, <laughs> pull your line in. Um, but anyway, let me go ahead and get that that audio. And it's very telling. Again, I, I think I did a good segue with that, but. Um, In order to truly understand why America is the way it is right now, you have to go back in time. You have to look a little deeper. The situation is far more complicated than they make it out to seem. So many people have asked me, why is this happening? How is it possible that one incident in Minneapolis can cause rioting all across the world? We're seeing riots in France. We're seeing riots in England. We're seeing riots all across Europe. 
and of course, all throughout the United States. So what is the reason for this? Well, before we get into this interview from 1984, I'm going to leave you with some words from Malcolm X. This was recorded in 1963. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football, and the white liberals control this ball through tricks or tokenism, false promises of integration and civil rights. In this game of deceiving and using the American Negro, the white liberals have complete cooperation of the Negro civil rights leader, who sell our people out for a few crumbs of token recognition, token gains, token progress. Now that you heard what Malcolm X has to say about this situation, let's take a look at this 1984 interview with Yuri Bezmenov. He was a defector from the KGB and he has some insights as to what's going on today. Check this out. Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmianov. Mr. Bezmianov was born in 1939 in a suburb of Moscow. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He was educated in the elite schools inside the Soviet Union and became an expert in Indian culture and Indian languages. He had an outstanding career with Novosti, which was the, and still is, I should say, the press arm or the press agency of the Soviet Union, it turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that... Uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and is divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? Because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. 
The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans, thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his bones, then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with uh, benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. Your leftists in the United States, all these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of the, of the uh, uh, subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they are, non, they are not needed anymore. They know too much. Some of them, when, when they get disillusioned, when they see that Marxist-Lenin has come to power, they, obviously they get offended. They think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. They will be lined up against the wall and shot. But they may turn into the most bitter enemies of Marxist-Leninists when they come to power. And that's what happened in Nicaragua. You remember most of these uh, former Marxist-Leninists were either put to prison or one of them split and now he's working against Sandinistas. It happened in, in uh, uh, Grenada when Maurice Bishop was, he was already a Marxist, 
he was executed by, by a new Marxist, who was more Marxist than this Marxist. Same happened in Afghanistan when uh, first there was Taraki, he was killed by Amin, then Amin was killed by Babra Karmal with the help of KGB. Same happened in, in Bangladesh when Munjibur Rahman, very pro-Soviet leftist, was assassinated by his own Marxist-Leninist military comrades. It's the same pattern everywhere. The, the time bomb is ticking, but every second the disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to dissect. What did you think about that? Was it accurate? Does it make sense now? If you haven't already done so, please leave a comment below and let us know what you think. And don't forget to hit that like button. And please share this video with everybody you know. And until next time, thank you all for watching. Okay, I'm going to address one thing, and then I'm going to get uh, to the uh, audio, and then uh, Joseph could chime in. Is we're talking about vision and what the vision of the Democrats are, and how it's to give America over, give our sovereignty over. Uh, you could call it globalism. You can call it to the deep global state, social, uh, you know, socialist globalism, what have you. And then there's the flip side where they talk about, you know, what is the Republican vision? And, uh, and right now, what's in, actually important is the, Demo the Republicans, one, it's not socialism. Uh, what it is is I think that the Republicans need Trump to have vision. Trump is the vision of the Republican Party, and the reason I say that is because, because he has an R next to his name, the Republican Party needs to support Trump because he is the leader of the Republican Party right now. He is the one, President Trump is the one that holds the Republicans' vision. Not necessarily because a lot of Republicans believe in what you know Trump you know, what Trump believes. It's because that they have to have some type of vision and right now they're adopting his again because He's the leader of the party. They need vision, and they need to follow Trump's vision because Trump's vision is the people's vision. It's the populist vision. So it, that's why we're not talking about parties here. You know, yeah, we're talking about the Democrats or the Democrats because they are have the power. And he says it all the time: wants to give the power back to the people. That's the that's the vision. That's the vision that the Republicans need to adopt. They need to adopt Trump's vision of bringing the power back to the people for Americans, for the American citizens, not because you know these Democrats want to represent the world when that's not what they're here for. If they want to represent the world, then they need to get on a position with the United Nations or one of those other globalist you know, or global organizations, not be a representative in the United States. And as to that audio, if, if you listen to the audio, you can see – that a, a lot of what you is, and this is in 1984 is when they made this. A, a lot of what they're talking about, you can see in plain sight today. I mean, look, look at what we, we try to debate with people who are on the other side. They can't. I mean, even when you present them with facts, they do not listen. What we call, okay, you know what they just described by they're saying when he said the people are demoralized. And I think the liberals are demoralized, and I blame the, the, I believe the media for this. That's what we call Trump derangement syndrome. We're, what we're calling Trump derangement syndrome, I think, is 
the liberals being demoralized by what the media and the Democrat Party are feeding them. That's what I think they're doing. They're not feeding them, you know, what we heard earlier in the beginning of the show about the vision that JFK had for America. Okay, okay, that's the vision he had for America as a Democrat. That vision doesn't exist anymore. At least not with at least not with the Democrats, and I would almost dare say maybe not so even with the Republicans. But it does exist with Donald Trump. He has that vision, and because he's got an R by his name, the, the Republicans. To be, you know, to keep on with their party leader, adheres to that. So as long as, if, you know, so if you want to have a positive vision for America, then that's why you need to have Donald Trump to be reelected. Because if the Demo- if, if you don't like the Republicans and you get rid of and, and, and Trump get, doesn't get reelected, and they have a new leader in their policy, let's say someone that's more like a Paul Ryan. Then you're going to get the same, you know, spineless, you know, Republicans that we've seen for quite some time. Think about it. The Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, haven't really had a spine until Trump got in the office. Once Trump got in the office, these people decided they'd go ahead and have spines, which they don't, you know. And once he's gone, I think that spine's going to go. Uh, now, again, back to the audio, is that. We've already seen where they demoralize them, and you heard him who mentioned the schools, and we know how the schools have been inundated, you know, with, with liberals and, and and teaching our kids on how bad America is. You've already seen them do that. They've been doing it for a long time, decades. Then he's talking about destabilization. Okay, look what they've been doing with destabilization with all these illegal immigrants flooding in here. They're called, trying to affect the economy. So you got Trump. Trump is the buffer where he's trying to keep all these illegal immigrants, you know, or as many as he can, out. Then you've got foreign relations. The Democrats are always blasting Trump no matter what he does. If he visits, you know, if he visits with, you know, the leaders of Russia or China or North Korea, then, you know, he's showing these, uh, these people respect that he shouldn't be otherwise showing them. You know, something Bolton was pissed off about uh, because, you know, he, Trump didn't listen to him. And say it all well. He just really likes uh, meeting with these leaders. So they try to put that spin on it. Now, if he didn't meet these leaders, oh well, look at Trump. He doesn't want to negotiate with anybody, you know. So whatever he does, the guy is down. Okay. So they blast him on any foreign relation uh, policy that he does. To talk about defense systems, we don't talk a lot about the defense right now. But this is where the space program comes in because whoever is the the nation. That is a preeminent space power, just like you look in the, in the past, you know, when it came to, you, you know, whoever had the dominance of the sea, they were the, the preeminent power of the world. Then whoever had dominance in the air, they're the preeminent power of the world. And now whoever has preeminent power in space, I'm telling you, they're going to be the ones who are going to be the hegemonic power of the world. And would you rather that hegemonic power be China or Russia? Or would you rather have it be the United States? And if you'd rather it be the United States, then you need to get back, you know, as JFK said, we, you know, someone's going to be the permanent power in space. If it's not going to be, you know, it be us. Because if it's not us, then, you know, you want to talk about, uh, you know, American influence throughout the world, it's going, to just, it's going to go away. And this isn't going to be in our lifetime, folks. This is going to be in our kids and our grandkids. So if you want to, you know, have 
you know, China or Russia, most likely China, to be the hegemonic power in the world for your children and your grandchildren, then you know what? Let, then we're not fighting. That's what I'm fighting for. You know, what, what's worth fighting for? Now, I'm kind of going off on a tangent. Um, but back to – well, actually, it's not really a tangent. But back to the audio, it's the crisis. That's what we're seeing now. First, you know, the, the Democrats for three years have been talking about impeachment, impeachment, you know, all the stuff to try to get an impeachment. There's your crisis there. Then you try to get the crisis of the coronavirus. Okay, then after the crisis of the coronavirus, now they're fomenting, you know, hatred and fear. You know, and that's what the Democrats do, and they're all trying to blame Trump. They're all, they're all trying to do that. that. And, and, you know, and he made a good point. If America falls, where are we going to go? Well, maybe Ireland. <laughs> but anyway, but Ireland's where I would think it would be a great place to go. Really, it doesn't have any global – government is never going to have global influence. It's just not. The, uh, Ireland would be a place where you're like, you know what, I'm done. I'm tired of the politics of the world. I'm tired of the, the deal with all this stuff. I'm tired of fighting. I'm just going to go to the, the pub, have me a couple of Guinness, and relax and enjoy the, the, the nice weather and the beautiful scenery for the rest of my life, and I'm just going to stay out of it. That's a, Ireland's a great place for that, and be able to vote for people, you know, and my preference. <laughs> but there's the place to go uh, if you, you know, if, if you're if you're tired of fighting, and that's what they're doing. Okay, they're trying to, and I, I've said this many times on the show, uh, they are trying to whittle us down. They're trying to, you know, weaken us down, you know, through first, as you said, the demoralization, then you talk about the stabilization, and now we're in crisis. So those three things, you've seen them, boom, boom, boom. And they've been talking about this since 1984, and you know what we are? You know what all of us Americans are right now? We're frogs. And I think you know where I'm going with this. We're frogs. If they were talking about this stuff in 1984, we're talking about 36 years ago they've been talking about this. And we're here, folks. We're here, and this is where we're frogs. This stuff has been going on for decades, you know, almost as long as you've been alive, Joseph. You know, I mean, it's going on now, but I'm just talking about from that conversation they had. 30, you, know, you know, almost as long as you, you know, almost as long as I've been alive, okay, and it's here. We're not the, – the water is not simmering anymore. It's getting ready to boil. And we're the frogs. This has been happening and coming to fruition for a long time. But now the water's starting to bubble. The, you know, but we're not recognizing it because it's slowly gotten heated up, slowly gotten heated up. And now it's coming to a boil. Look at the streets. Would you call that a boil? The flame is on. The boil's here. And are we going to, you know, jump out of, of the bowl or are we going to let ourselves get boiled? We, we're at that point now. We are there. And if Biden gets elected, and if the Democrats maintain the House, one, if, if, he, if Trump gets elected and, the, and the, they try to maintain – I mean and the uh, Democrats maintain the House, then you're going to get the same thing we got the past three years. And that, that's actually part of their strategy is that they want to wear us out so bad we're like, oh, my gosh, we don't want another three, four years of this. Let's go ahead and either not vote or let's go ahead and vote for Biden so that, oh – 
We don't have to deal with all this stuff from the media. We don't have to deal from all the stuff from the Democrats. We don't got to keep hearing, you know, oh, my gosh, the world hates our president. Oh, all these people despise our president. Oh, our president's evil. Oh, our president's all terrible. We want to, oh, if we just get Biden in, we won't have to worry about that. That's what they want. That's what they want. And, and lightweight, that, this question for yourself. I, I think you may still be out there. Is why, and this is why one of the reasons I support Trump is because we know the Democrats hate him. We even know some Republicans hate him, if not like him. There's world leaders that don't like him. There's people on this country. I, I said on Twitter, someone said to me on Twitter, oh my gosh, there's a lot of the world that despises Trump. Of course, of course they do, because Trump is America first. And we haven't had an America first president in a long time, a true American first president in a long time. We haven't. He's here, and they hate him for it. And not only do they don't hate Trump for it, they hate us. They hate us for it too because we're getting in their globalist, socialist – talk about socialism, lightweight. Trump is getting in the way of their socialist, globalist agenda. He's in the way. They've got to get him out any way they – and they've been trying. Look at all this stuff. We cannot allow them to happen. Democrats out there, like I know there's a few of you that listen to the show, or at least talk to people who do, you know, and, and you mentioned this uh, lightweight as well, when they say this is the most important election of our lifetime. I, I, again, I joke around all the time with, uh, you know, with, with, you know, Sean Hannity about it, you know, but the thing is, is this time, you know, I, I, I can't laugh it off. This time I can't laugh, laugh that off, because this time it's actually, you know, it's actually true. It's actually true, and that's what and that's where we're at. We have to pick a side. That's just where we're at. So Joseph, I'm going to get off my soapbox up, <laughs> taking up so much time. Uh, but we're here. We are here. Uh, I can't believe it. I am shocked. And again, I've been following this stuff. Uh, thank you, Suzette. I appreciate it. Um, I've been following this stuff for as long as you've been alive. I didn't know how old you were until tonight, Joseph. But I've been following this. Literally your whole life, and so I've never thought we'd get here. And I've said this for a long time. I'm sorry I told you I was getting kitchen and Joseph, but I will in a second. And Civil War time. I've been saying this a long time. I mean, I I, I said that one the way I opened up the show last week was with an email to a good friend of mine who stopped being my friend because I voted for Trump. And I even said in February of 2019. And we're headed to a civil war. And folks, believe it or not, shockingly enough, it's not. We're here. What are we going to do about it? Go ahead, Joseph. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, you couldn't have said it any better. Um, you know, it's a, it's a shame that uh, uh, we don't have a political system set up like they do in Ireland, which is uh, really ideal. And uh, unfortunately, uh, yes, even though Donald Trump is a populist, he is uh, the leader of the Republican Party. So a vote for Donald A. Trump is a vote for the Republican Party. But it's a vote for uh, the, the vision that Donald Trump has for America and the vision that Donald Trump has for the Republican Party uh, and the vision that Donald Trump has for all Americans. And um, so I've been hearing that for many years as well. Sean Hannity is one of my favorite commentators. 
Uh, he's been saying it for the longest time. This is the important election. Uh, this is the most important election of our lifetime. I think he's been saying it since 2012. Uh, maybe even earlier than that. I'm not sure if he said it when George W. Bush was running. I know he definitely has been saying it since 2012 when Romney was running. So um, it is the most important election of our lifetime. And uh, it's going to be life-altering. And um, I really believe the will of the American people will come out. And Donald J. Trump will be victorious. It won't be easy. But Donald Trump was in Arizona yesterday at a, a rally for Turning Point USA for uh, young Republican uh, college students. And uh, he made a comment. And he said, you know, the Democrats... They want to defund the police and abolish the police and abolish ICE. Guess what? I just, I'm ju- I, I just won re-election. And I couldn't help laugh at that. I really couldn't help laugh. Because basically what he was trying to say is just by them espousing that platform, they're pretty much handing him the election. They just, they're just so blinded by their anger and hatred to even see it for that. They're basically just making it more probable that he's going to win. My main concern, though, is mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots is what the Democrats want because they want to try to rig this election. Mail-in ballots are not like absentee ballots where you go through a verification process uh, to verify that you are who you say you are. Um, You know, uh, one of the commentators on Hannity shows yesterday said that – his dead son received a mail-in ballot. Son's been dead for seven years. It just goes to show you that uh, mail-in ballots are uh, are a disaster, are, are a bad recipe, um, and that's what the Democrats are trying to do. They're, they're they're looking for every angle because they're not winning in the court of public opinion. Now, the mainstream media will have you think that the majority of Americans are against Donald Trump, are against the Republicans. Uh, are against the police, uh, are against unifying our party, um, they'll have you believe that. Hey, uh, look at Joseph Goebbels, uh, the propaganda ministry uh, for the Nazis. He was very good at making the German people believe that the Germans were going to be victorious, even though when they were getting slaughtered in the Russian front, and that uh, National Socialism... Uh, was the best vision for Germany. And uh, so they were very good at that. But if you really talk to everyday Americans, uh, most Americans are not on board with the mainstream narrative, are not on board with the to want to defund and abolish the police. So um, in many ways, what they're trying to do is brainwash us to thinking that the majority of us Americans want this majority of us Americans don't want it. Uh, even longtime Democrats, uh, they don't want any of that. Um, you know, longtime progressives, they're not for that. Uh, the problem is they're just not being courageous enough to call out their leaders on that. Well, neither are the Republicans either in calling out their leaders for that. So, um, now, those are my thoughts and those are my feelings. And uh, my only concern, like I said, is really the mail-in ballots that the Democrats are pushing. And unfortunately, I do predict that when Donald Trump wins re-election, and it will not be an easy race because yeah. he'll, uh, the Democrats will have the mainstream media in their pocket. 
Um, but here's what's going to sway this election. Here's what's really going to sway it. It's because for so many years, they've had the cops uh, and um, blue-collar voters and suburb moms as loyal Democratic voters. For, for many, many decades, they've had that voting block secured for the Democrats. They have just eliminated that, their new agenda of defund and abolish the police. They've lost that. You actually have police coming out and even the union saying that we're not, we're not supporting the Democrats who are throwing us under the bus. So what they're doing is they're getting rid of crucial voting blocks that have, for the vast majority for many decades, have given their loyalty to the Democratic Party and vote Democrat. And so the more that defect from this new radical extreme party gives Donald Trump even a higher probability of reelection. And that's what they're doing because the cops, they're not voting for these Democrats. They're not voting this year for the, probably for the first time in their life. They're not going to vote for the progressives. They're going to be like, you threw us under the bus. We're going to vote for the other. And those suburb moms as well, those soccer moms as well. No, no. You want to abolish the police? Well, how's that going to happen in the suburbs? Crime rates are going to go up high. I have my family to worry about. So, they're getting rid of these uh, crucial voting blocks that are just going to um, kind of be the icing on the cake for Donald Trump and winning re-election. But make no mistake, he will have to fight the battle of his lifetime. Make no mistake, we cannot make the mistake that Hillary and the Democrats did back in 2016 in thinking they had it in the bag. And we saw what happens when you think you have it in the bag and you let your guard down. We saw what happened. Wisconsin fell, Michigan fell, Pennsylvania fell. All three blue states that have not gone red since Ronald Reagan in the 80s. And I'll defer back to you, Robert. Well, and I tell you what, and I, I do see that it's about 13 minutes before the top of the hour. Uh, and one of the things here is that if, you're, if your call drops or if you're in the van, you'll need to call in at uh, 347-945-7428. If you'd like to listen to or participate in the rest of the show, even if you call in, you don't necessarily have to you know, talk in the show. You just push the one on your number dial. I know we have a number of people who just call in and listen, but if you do not call in in the next 12 minutes, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to, and you won't be able to hear the audio either. Um, so if you want to listen, be able to listen to the rest of the show, uh, and if you want to participate in that too, of course, uh, give us a call at 347 945 Seven four two eight. Um, again, if you're in the chat, then you'll lose the audio, um, and you won't be able to listen to and be a part of the, the next hour, which all the shows are archived. So you know we will still be having our discussion, and we also will uh, you know be you know on the archive, uh, which is the, the recording people can listen to later. Definitely uh, share the link, uh, and we'd be happy to get you in. So again, just push the one on number dial, and I'll we'll get you in the show if you want to speak in. If not. You're welcome to just listen to the rest. Now, as to your point of the Democrats losing um, in uh, you know, a lot of their, their – uh, or some of their base, I want to say a lot, is one thing I think that they're in danger of is – and you don't hear about this voting block much, um, especially in today's environment – is you don't hear a lot about white liberals. 
and not white liberals, but white Democrats, not liberals, because they're they've been the demoralized. Those are the demoralized people that I'm talking about. But I'm talking about people who are white Democrats, and they're not racists. Called racists. They don't like it being alluded to that just because you're white that you must somehow have a racist, be a racist. If the Democrats aren't careful, which I don't think they are, and I don't think by me saying be careful they, they would listen, <clears throat> in a way maybe I want the, I don't want them to. But the thing is, is the more you push this card, the more you're even going to put white Democrats, um, you know, push them away because they're not they're not going to like to be called racist. They're just not. And I think that's a good segue, you know, I, I, you know, to my next audio uh, clip. And this one, it's not going to quite take us to the top of the hour because it's only about uh that's about seven minutes so it'll it'll, it'll bring us pretty close because we only got three left so if uh, you want to call in prior to the show uh, pl- uh closing for the the chat um and be in for the next hour you know you can do it while you, you listen to the audio uh but this one uh and again, I'm going to mute the mics. Is that is where the you know they should be careful uh, because I mean if the Ameri- if just whites in general were to vote as a as a voting block or you know or ones who are you know they call them Hispanic white non-Hispanic white things of that nature if they were to vote as a voting block um, because they're tired of being called a racist even when they're not the Democrats are going to be even more trouble. But here's here's an example uh, of this and because we're, we're tired of asking to be apologize for our race. You know, and here's an audio I want people to go and uh, go with, and we'll get. You know, of course, I'll respond, and we'll get uh, response to it. But I do see a number of folks in the line. Uh, push the one on your number down. We'll get you into the show. Hi, America. I'm Good Patriot, and I'm a racist piece of trash. Well, not a regular racist. I'm actually a subconscious racist. I'm so racist that I don't even know how racist I am. Or at least, that's what I've been told. So to destroy racism, which apparently only exists against black people, I'm going to have to do a few things. Number one, put a black box on my social media pages. This will ensure that I start working off my penance for being born white. And it will also make sure that my friends that aren't racist know that even though I've never done anything racist, that they know that I'm not racist either, and then somehow that's going to help the black people. And number two, as a white person, I need to validate the existence of black people by saying the magic words, Black Lives Matter. Saying that actually shows that I think that my white opinion is superior and is needed to validate a black person's existence and worth. And black people acknowledging that they need to hear it from me is actually saying that they find their worth in my white opinion. But let's just ignore all the mental gymnastics of that and and just say it anyway. The magic words. Black lives matter. There you go. Racism has been annihilated. Okay, let's cut the crap and get down to business. I haven't heard one person say that George Floyd's death was an unjust and tragic, and I have not seen any evidence that there's a racial motivation behind his death. But the media told you to feel bad, to get mad, and that it was okay to do stupid things because you've had years of anger and oppression built up. They lied, and you believed it. Why haven't you been mad at the dozen or two blacks killed in Chicago for the 57th weekend in a row? 
In 2018, white people committed violent crimes against black people almost 60,000 times. In the same year, black people committed violent crimes against black people almost 400,000 times. But y'all just want to talk about this one, not this one. I guess black lives don't really matter unless they're injured or killed by whites, and then the media tells you to be mad about it. Are you recognizing a pattern here? The media owns you. They tell you how to think and how to feel. This is a tragic death used by the higher-ups to bring destruction and division, and you are falling right into it. If you really cared about brown and black lives, you would bring down Planned Parenthood. They were literally built to murder black lives, but you go on and righteously boast your bullcrap hashtags, thinking that you're doing good, and at the same time, you're voting for more abortion rights so that they can rip apart black babies. Have you ever heard of the Barbary slave trade? That's the one where for hundreds of years, millions of white Europeans were kidnapped and enslaved in North Africa. Kind of weird that we uh, never hear talk about that example of slavery, right? How about the police killings of Kelly Thomas and Duncan Limp? Haven't heard of them? I'm not surprised. Did you know that black on white crime is over nine times higher than white on black crime? I bet you didn't. That's because it doesn't fit their agenda to make you think that black and brown people are the perpetual victim and that white people are the privileged, power-hungry murderers. Did you also know that the CIA has been conducting psychological operations on us for decades using our media? I don't even get that. What? This isn't about race. This is about distracting you from the real enemy and manipulating you to think in a certain way. To the whites. Who of you have actually acted out in an evil way against a black person just because they're black? I haven't, ever, and I'm guessing that a very large majority of you haven't either. You're not racist, so stop feeling guilty. I don't have to prove my non-racism to anybody. I just live it. I don't owe black people, I don't owe the media, I don't owe some stupid social media influencer celebrity campaign anything, and I will not ever apologize simply for being white, and I will never apologize that my hard work got me to where I am. These looters and rioters have sold their integrity for $15 an hour and a stolen pair of shoes. They are not oppressed, white, black, or brown. They are thieves, murderers, and they deserve no sympathy. I have gotten on my knees and wept over these people and prayed that God removes the blindness from their eyes and that they turn from their evil ways. But so help me God, if one of you comes near me or someone near me and threatens our livelihood or our lives, I will not hesitate to neutralize your threat. To the black people that got their peaceful protest hijacked by these evil animals, I am truly sorry. George's death was a disgusting crime, but there are also disgusting crimes committed every day against all races. We just don't get told to be upset about them. Let this wake you up to the fact that you are being used as a pawn in a very calculated game of good versus evil. We all are, and that's why we need to stick together and stop letting them dictate how we feel, what we do, and how we think. Don't believe the lie that you can blame your way to success and riot your way to justice. The end of this video is all scripted out, but I'm just not feeling it, so I'm just going to talk plainly with you guys. I'm tired. I'm tired of all this bullcrap, and um, we need to stop 
being angry at each other and be angry at the people that are actually systematically trying to oppress and control us. And until we do that, they're going to win. To the believers out there, I just feel like I'm supposed to tell you guys to put on the full armor of God and get on your face in prayer and pray over our country and our world because we are in a serious battle right now. Thank you for watching. I hope you resonate with some of the thoughts in this video and that it was encouraging and that you realize that it's I'm coming from a place of tough love because that's what's needed right now. I'm done with political correctness and sugarcoating. In fact, I actually never do it. <laughs> but if you're not used to that, welcome to the page of Good Patriot. Love you guys. Stay safe and God bless. I'll see you soon. Yes, and let me clarify one of the number, uh, some of the numbers that uh, may not have come clear on there. Uh, she was referring to, I guess, nationally in a year, about sixty. There's about sixty thousand incidences of, uh, you know, white violence against blacks. Um, sixty thousand incidences per year, and comparing it to the four hundred thousand incidences uh, per year of black and black violence, that's the number that she was uh, referring to. Uh, so that, that may not come came through good in, in the audio, and, and I apologize for that. Uh, but that's what she meant. The, the point is, is you know, there's a lot more black on black violence, you know, blacks against each other than whites on blacks. But th that's not what's ever talked about. Is the you know the black on black? It's just you know you know when uh, whites violence on on blacks. That's what she was referring to on, on those numbers. Uh, and so it looks like we lost lightweight in the chat. Looks like he or she was not looking to uh, to the talk or even listen to the next hour. Uh, the last thing they uh, typed was C N and then capital I and then small M. So I really don't know what that was referring to. Uh, and so you know, there's that. And so yeah, so that's what you know. You know, so we are about the top of the hour. So don't let your uh, mic drop. But just give us a call at. Uh, Three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. Push one on your number dial. I did see Kelly in here uh, a little bit ago. He wasn't in long, uh, but then he—I guess he had to go. I'll, I'll check in on him later. Hopefully, he's all right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But we do have uh, uh, Joseph, so we want to get your take on that, Joseph. And then Suzette wants to uh, get on the line with us. Uh, so go ahead, uh, Joseph, and I'll bring in Suzette, and uh, we'll go from uh, we'll go from there. Uh, absolutely, Robert. They are going to be losing a lot of key voting blocks, including I think they're going to lose a lot of the, the white vote. And the white uh, vote has always been a solid voting block for the uh, Democratic Party. Um, they're also they also have lost uh, the, uh, the the Jewish vote for the most part, um, and that was uh, during the eight years of uh, Barack Obama, uh, you know, demonizing uh, the Israelites in Israel and. And the Prime Minister Netanyahu of uh, of Israel. So um, yeah, I I, I think uh, Trump is going to need all the uh, defectors and all the all, all the help he can get. And uh, the Democrats uh, don't realize that they are just uh, making the uh, case for Donald Trump that it's clear that uh, a vote for Donald A. Trump is a, is a vote to uh, uh, keep the police. Uh, restore law and order, uh, continue the prosperity in America, 
and allow us to live in a free, united, uh, happy America. And it's been a long time since we've been able to do so. So um, uh, I so much yearn for that. And uh, November's right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. So um, I defer back to you, Robert. No, certainly. I mean, and I've been, you know, thinking that for a while. You know, that that's like, and I've, I've said it a few times on the show that, you know, the, the people are going to get tired of of being called something that, you know, that they're not. And and and, and what she's kind of pointing, like, look, there's no reason for us to apologize because we're, you know, born white. And I'm and I'm not going to kneel. In, I'm I'm not going to kneel in front of anybody. You know, I don't I don't feel the need for that. Uh, and so. As we back, mentioned back in the earlier of the show, where they're talking about always wanting to look in the past, when you had JFK, who was wanting to look towards the future, and that's and that's not where the Democrat Party is today. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring into that. Um, thank you for Sue of that for uh, contributing there in the chat and then giving us a call in. Uh, do see a couple more folks in the line. Just push the one on your number dial, and uh, we'll get you into the show. Uh, go ahead, Suzette. Thank you for taking my call. Hello, Joseph. Hello to you too. <laughs> Robert. Um, Hello, Suzette. Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you. Same here. Um, Robert, you and I talked a while back um, about the people getting tired of just all the noise that's going on and that being a deterrent from participating in the elections. Um, and, you know, I think that's what may be part of the Democrat strategy because they're not worrying about being exposed right now and they know that they're turning people away and, you know, their constituents, clearly if they don't, they're completely blind as far as being the Democrat elite being exposed and exposing themselves for who they are um, as far as panderers and just interested in power. But it doesn't seem like they care because they continue to expose themselves daily almost. And it could be just a strategy, again, to have people just get tired so of participating. And they'll just say, forget it. You know, I don't want to be a Republican. And now that I know what the Democrats are about, I, I don't want to be a Democrat either. And, you know, just screw it all. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but I think a lot of people are getting to that point. We have, what, close to five months left till election. And while it seems like it's a small amount of time, um, it, it can be a long, <laughs> a long ride, depending on what else the Democrats have up their sleeves. Um, you know, they're talking about the COVID thing again, and as far as the increase in numbers, and I checked the numbers, and they're not that increased <laughs> as the media is portraying them to be. And, uh, yeah, but they're they're pushing it. So, I don't know. I like what that uh, person had to say in her video, and she's absolutely correct. And any in any normal circumstance of, um, I guess, a lower version of crisis uh, uprising, I think people would listen and be open to what she's saying and realize what she's saying is uh, absolutely correct. But I think at this point, there are a lot of people that are just closing off their mind and, and ears to to everything um, because of the, no, the amount of noise. Um, anyway, back to you. What do you think? 
Well, yeah, I'm actually was looking at an article here, a, a local article that you know they're starting to say that, including the area that I'm living in. So we'll see uh, that there's been increase in the state, but there's too large of a increase to um, to speak of because of you know uh, because of the testing. You know, the additional testing is what the article is saying. You know, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to believe these people anymore. It's, it's a shame that you can't even trust, uh, you know, trust your officials. Right. It's, 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 you know, you can't trust them because, you know, you know a lot of times, like this girl, of course, the lady who's saying about the increase is a Democrat. Um, she's the Hamilton County Commissioner of the East Three House. Uh, so, Hamlet, you know, you know, and she's uh, – and she's a Democrat commissioner. Now, most of our commissioners are Democrats. I mean, maybe that's not a fair assessment, but, you know, it says uh, that, you know, the recent spike is too large to be explained just by increased testing is what is what she stated. Mm. Well, you had these doctors and researchers write a letter um, and had posted, I guess, in the New York Times that were saying that um, basically the – Black Lives Matter protests were actually more important than the um, worry about spread of COVID and that the protests for people who wanted to go back to work um, were actually increasing the spread of COVID. (laughs) So so they were in favor of one and not the other. And these these are doctors and uh, scientific researchers that I thought, well, what is that? I mean, did you did you are there any examples of uh, tests that prove this or not? You know, there, how could there be uh, to okay a certain people, a group of people, and not another group of people, and yet the pandemic or COVID nineteen is still the same? It doesn't change, but apparently, according to those doctors and researchers, it does. I mean, it's so ridiculous now. Um, like you said, you can't believe anything anymore as far as information from experts, <laughs> and the people are supposed to be looking out for our health. Yeah, and, I mean, and because they make it, and that's the thing, is because they make everything political, you know, they want people to all believe the scientists, but even the darn scientists are political. So uh, how can you, you know, that, that's the problem. I mean, you don't know how to face, because, they, I mean, the, and the politicians, they do. They make everything political anymore. It's just you, you can't uh, – you don't know who the trust – because it's not like, you know, here's the numbers. Dude, was here's the numbers, and here's who you have to blame. You know what I mean? They always want to play the blame game. On, but whose fault is it that the numbers are like this? <laughs> you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. and the Democrats yep. you know, are always like, oh, it's Republicans, or, oh, this person said this, and so this is why, you know – so that's why you can't trust the dump the numbers because the, you know they all have their own. You don't know whether it's for truth or if it's for their own political gain. Right, right, exactly. Seems like now New York and uh, Democrat states suddenly their numbers are all gone down, their deaths have gone down, but the media is reporting the red states um, seem to have these spikes and increases, and the spikes and increases or maybe 100 people. I think at the most it was like um, a little over 1,000. Um, but as far as the deaths in those states, there were no more than 26 in any one of the states, um, you know, per day. And so 
that's their sudden spike and increase that they're talking about. Oh, are we going to have another shutdown? And thank goodness Trump said no. <laughs> Suzette, that's what they want. They are painting the narrative that there's going to be a second wave. When in reality, uh, Trump has come out with uh, 27 million more tests. And that is actually uh, contributing to the people who have COVID. You had a lot of people who were forced in these lockdown measures to stay home and they couldn't come out and a lot of people that couldn't get tested. But yeah, that is a narrative. They want a second wave. They want anything that will continue to tank the economy so they can win at the expense of the American people. And uh, one more thing. I am with you, Robert. I am against tribalism. I am completely against tribalism, where one race holds you responsible for uh, your uh, ancestry when you weren't even alive back then, just just because it's the color of your skin, uh, it, which is ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It, it goes against all the principles of what America stands for. We're not a, a, a nation of tribalism. And that's what the Democrats are trying to turn this country into, tribalism. If you're white, you're guilty of every crime that was committed against uh, African-Americans. And I'll give you one classic example, and you nailed it at the beginning of the show. The Israelites, they've been enslaved for over 4,000 years, going back to the Egyptians and Moses. During World War II, they uh, faced atrocities of mass genocide where the, the, almost the entire population was wiped off the, the, the planet. But you never hear them using any of their history or anti-Semitism as a scapegoat. You never hear them asking for preferential treatment. If anything, uh, most Israelites or Jewish American people, they instill education and family values at a very young age, and they turn out to be doctors and engineers and scientists. So a, for anyone who, who makes the, the argument that, well, we've been oppressed for over 500 years, what about the Israelites? They've been oppressed for over 4,000 years. What they endured in World War II is nothing compared to what you endured during slavery. And they don't ever complain about their past or use it as a scapegoat. I'll defer back to you, Robert, and back to you, Suzette. In my opinion, they are the, the, the lead by example. Um, well, they do receive reparations from the United States, which I have never understood. Um, if anything, they should get it from Germany or the from the people that had, you know, had um, impose those atrocities upon their people. But it's the United States that's actually paying them reparations. And so I think that's where uh, the black community or black people feel um, that it's unfair that um, that they receive reparations from the United States and they had never received any compensation uh, for the atrocities that were imposed upon them. Not that I'm saying that it should be paid to anybody, but just that's what they feel and that's what's happening. Back to you, Robert. Uh, yeah, I was looking at these uh, these numbers and stuff for you know for my area and thing. But yeah, again, you don't you don't know who to uh, you know who, you know who to believe on that. Um, now I do have uh, gosh, there's one other uh, audio because I do see we're kind of run out of time, but it's it's. It's very short, <laughs> so it's, it's not even two minutes, but it's it's really succinct. 
and I definitely want to get that in tonight. So, wow, this is going to be a, a Bart's Logic first. I, I may have actually get all the audio that I wanted to play <laughs> in the show tonight. I don't – I rarely have that happen. Um, Yay. But this is uh, – yeah, this is something that, you know, is, is a really good uh, – you know, questions again, I mean, and I think this is going to be more commonplace, and, and you mentioned reparations, which you're, you're going to start seeing them talk about that again. And then again, I mean, once they do, it's like, that's why, you know, I think they risk by talking about reparations again is to uh, ostracize, you know, the white vote, especially the ones who are like, look, I had nothing to do with slavery. Why do I have to pay part of my money? You know that I work hard for, haven't. And then Rush Limbaugh a while ago, a while ago made a great point. This was years ago. And he said, you know, for all the this is when you know some years ago when they're talking about reparations. He said, you know, he goes, we. This is one of the reasons why I don't. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting. <laughs> Where he said this, this is why I think they don't need reparations, because actually, for the people living in the United States now, and and probably. What four generations? I mean, that's what two hundred years ago. So we're probably talking about more than four generations, right? And so, but let's just use four. And actually, the people who are living in the United States today, and probably their parents, and probably even their grandparents, benefited from the blood, sweat, and tears of their ancestors who were slaves. Because if they were not brought, if their ancestors were not brought over here as slaves. Where do you think they would probably be living now? In Africa. So you're sitting in your chair in your home in the United States of America, even if you would be considered poor in America. Would you have rather still been born in America, or would you rather still been, or would you have rather been born in Africa? You probably would have been. Go ahead, Sean. You know, would you? I think that you would probably would have been like, yeah, it's a good thing that I was born in America. So why do we owe our reparations when they're they're actually financially better off than if they were born in Africa? True. But do you agree that we should be paying reparations to the Jewish community because of what happened to them in Germany? We didn't do anything to them. In fact, nobody should get paid reparations. They are getting paid reparations by the United States, the Jewish community. Where, where, now, where have you seen that? I haven't seen that. Where, where, where have you I, seen that at? We'll find that and post it for you in the chat room. We've been doing okay. it for a while. Yeah, that is, that, that is something I've never heard that we're paying reparations. And, and, and what manner are they paying reparations? Are you saying that anyone who's Jewish is getting a check from the government? Yes. I'm looking it up. Hang on. Or go ahead. Proceed with your audio or whatever. I'll put it okay. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead and do that while you're looking that up. It, it's a really short audio. I mean, it's really – it's just a little over a minute and a half. But And I'll keep the mics open, so let's all be – because it's so short, and we'll, we'll just you know keep our, our noise levels uh, uh, down. So let me go ahead and play that. It's, 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 it's an interesting uh, – interesting little – Dinesh, I think one of the powerful things you do – uh, in writing United States of Socialism is to talk about how it, it sounds so good. Free college. We're going to take care of all your student debt. Free food. Free everything. It does sound appealing to a lot of people, but you also point out 
there, there's a hidden agenda, and it's fatal. Ultimately, I think it only works in the sense that a gangster operation works. Uh, it revolts the conscience of ordinary people. I put it this way. If you were to tell someone, listen, go over to your neighbor's house, uh, open his refrigerator and start eating his food, look around at his stuff and take whatever you want, uh, and move it over to your house, most people would go, well, that's terrible. I wouldn't think of doing that. And, and if I did, I would feel awful about myself. My conscience really won't allow that. So the Democratic Party steps in and basically says, listen, they say, first of all, the stuff that's in his refrigerator and his house actually belongs to you. He's been stealing from you uh, for centuries. And so uh, you, are, you are entitled to his stuff. But the good news is you don't have to go get it. We'll get it for you. And I think this is partly why guys like de Blasio can't condemn the looters on the street all too strongly. Why? Because they're basically doing the same thing. They want to do in an organized way what the looters are basically doing in a disorganized way. Dinesh, you may have just given this country the most succinct and maybe accurate depiction of what's going on with the whole socialist mentality. I've never heard it put that way. It's how we finished it up. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's like it, – it's, it's interesting. If you actually have that conversation with somebody, um, oh, we just uh, – oh, we just lost a, lost a caller. It looks like we lost Dr. Tolbert. I'll see if he'd want to – I guess he's just listening. But we def, definitely appreciate Dr. Tolbert's uh, – uh, you know, listening in tonight, uh, and so we, we definitely want to thank him on that. Um, and so, let's see. I'm, I'm going to have to ask him why we don't want to chime in. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, but but I think it comes back to one of the other audios we we listened to tonight, and that again is about the demoralization because people. I mean, it's a fact. I mean, you, it, it, that is what these people are doing. And it would be like that. Like, wait a minute. And then, of course, the uh, because they think what well, they're doing it to us. Let's go ahead and get it to them. It's it's not true. Uh, and one of the things they also want to to bring up they never talk about is you know sixty five percent of all you know of black children are, are born out of wedlock. No one ever talks about that. You know, so you know those those two things just never discussed. Uh, no, I, I agree with you, Robert. Um, I was not aware that um, uh, the Jewish people were receiving reparations whatsoever, but still, they don't use their history as a scapegoat for the most part. I'll defer back to you. Yeah, that's uh, that's something new. That's something I haven't heard of. That's um, something I'll, you know, definitely would want to... Oh, listen to. I mean, I mean, certainly. Uh, so yeah, just got a message out to, to Dr. Tober. I thought I've seen him too, but he never pushed the the one on the number dial. So I'm out to uh, reach out to him. I usually like to to hear from him. Uh, so I definitely want to see what's going on there <clears throat> with him. I mean, he was on for a lot of the show too. Normally, he does, he's on a, on his late, but uh, maybe he thought we had. Things well in hand here uh, on the on the show. Um, so and you know what? I've just seen an audio clip, and I don't know why. Maybe this is serendipitous. Um, but you're hearing a lot of blasts getting on DeSantis, right? 
and, you know, and, and they're in Florida. And, of course, you know, and I mentioned this on Twitter, is that, you know, of course they got to get to Florida. Florida's a swing state. Uh, Florida went for Trump uh, back in 2016. Uh, the Democrats really need, you know, really need to, to win Florida. So, of course, they're trying to make a Republican bad as much as they can. So they got to try to, uh, they got to try to push that. And so, you know, that's why they're, they're hitting on, hitting on Florida. But I just seen, a, 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 again, this is an audio clip I was planning on it, but it's fun and interesting uh, because it's just, it's just right here. And I want serendipitous to play it because uh, the, just the title I'm looking at says, DeSantos speaks on Obama Hezbollah scandal. Now, I don't know when I played that. Maybe I played that a long time ago, but beyond, you know, Maybe there's maybe this brings a, there's more of a reason why <laughs> the media want to get on DeSantis. Maybe DeSantis is going to say something about that. I'm curious now. Do, do, do you guys mind if I play that audio? Because I am kind of curious. I'll mute our mics. It's about five minutes. But i just seen it, and I wanted to bring up DeSantis in Florida, and, and we have. So, And i just seen this come up. So I find it interesting uh, and made me curious on, on, on that. So I'm going to go ahead and play that real quick if you guys don't mind. Welcome back to Hannity. Congress is demanding answers tonight after Politico reported, quote, in its determination to secure a nuclear deal with Iran, the Obama administration derailed an ambitious law enforcement campaign targeting drug trafficking by the Iranian-backed terrorist group Hezbollah, even as it was funneling cocaine into the United States. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan and Ron DeSantis are following up on that story by sending a letter to Attorney General Jeff Sessions. The congressmen are asking the Department of Justice to turn over all documents and communications related to this matter to find out whether the Obama administration did this to help secure the nuclear deal with Iran. Joining us now with more on this request is Congressman DeSantis. A fascinating story and so disturbing at the same time. Congressman, how do you anticipate the DOJ is going to respond to your request for documents and information? I actually expect them to respond favorably because this is an important issue. And if you go back to the second term of Obama, remember what Ben Rhodes said. Yes. The Iran deal is the Obamacare of the second term. Everything was subservient to that. They did all kinds of things to get that deal through. Obviously, they told a lot of falsehoods to the American people in the process. This thing with Hezbollah, who, by the way, has American blood on its hands, are one of the most lethal terrorist groups in the Middle East. You go all the way back to the Beirut bombing of the Marine Corps barracks in 1983. Hezbollah was uh, the perpetrator of mm -hmm. that. So they've been raising, wreaking havoc in the Middle East against our allies, against the United States for decades. And to make a conscious decision to ward off a very sophisticated task force that was pursuing them, knowing that that would allow their drug running and money laundering operations to continue unabated and therefore empower Hezbollah, that is a very monumental and I think disastrous decision. We need to know what happened. We need to know who told them to stand down. And then we also need to get some of the architects of the Iran deal, uh, like Ben Rhodes, and see were they involved. Uh, with having DOJ shut this down. You're so right. I'm glad that you followed up on that because Ben Rhodes, you know, all roads lead back to him because he's got the answers. He's the architect of that. He, it sounds like from his own words, his own admission, he's making himself an ideal subject of an investigation to comply and come forward and proffer some testimony to explain exactly what transpired. 
And remember, he bragged about creating a fake echo chamber where he had the client journalists that would put out disinformation about how this is really capitalizing on an opening of the Iranian regime. They're going to change and become part of the community of nations. They knew that wasn't true. They knew the mullahs weren't changing. They just thought that giving them $150 billion of sanctions relief, airlifting over a billion dollars uh, to them in cash, they thought that that was good, uh, and that was the policy that they pursued. I think they pursued it recklessly, but by this investigation, we're going to find out just how reckless they were in doing that. Yeah, I just question that policy. I question its merits. I question its authenticity, the whole nexus of it, how it came together, and what exactly did they think that they were accomplishing? Was this just some kind of like ego trophy to say they could do this nuclear deal? Because it was a bad deal for the United States, and now we know just how bad. I think it was exactly. They wanted to hold up the New York Times the next day and say, oh, we have this great deal, peace in our time. Uh, consequences be damned, essentially. And if you think about the deal, they never did anything to prevent Iran from developing ballistic missiles. That's not in the deal. Nothing about Iranian support for terrorism. And, of course, we don't even have access to Iran's military sites uh, in this deal. So it's really a deal that empowered Iran immediately and then paved the way for Iran to develop nuclear weapons in the, in the near future. It was a disastrous deal, mm-hmm. but then you also see now some of the consequences of that and the collateral damage by empowering Hezbollah. And I think if you ask somebody like Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, oh, yeah, he, he's worried about groups like ISIS, but I think he'd probably point to Hezbollah as the most significant terrorist group in his neck of the woods. Absolutely, and he also tried to point that out at, at the time when he was stating his objections to the United States making this move because he knows full well who better than he to determine and decide exactly what's going on in that region, especially based on their excellent intelligence gathering. Uh, we, we already know it. We knew that was a bad deal at the time, but nevertheless, it was pushed forward, and now we're finding out the ramifications of it. It reminds me of the Fast and Furious and covers up there, uh, cover up there. I mean, it's unbelievable because it just seems that they had a specific political goal in mind and acted against the best interests of the United States and supported, essentially, terrorism with Iran and Hezbollah and funded it. And probably on both ends, with, by having the DEA stand down, mm-hmm. that empowered Hezbollah on the front end. Point, but then when yeah. they're getting the pallets of cash on the back end of the deal, well, why do you think they want the cash? Because they want to give that to the Revolutionary Guard Corps. They want to give it to group like, groups like Hezbollah so that they can continue to wreak havoc in the Middle East. So it was a disaster from the beginning to end. You're absolutely right. Well, I thank you for your service and what you've done here, and I I look forward to finding out the rest of this information. So um, obviously we need you to come back a lot. (laughs) Congressman DeSantis, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, apparently that um, that audio was around Christmas time some, some years ago before DeSantis became governor. Uh, I'm going to open up the mics here. Uh, it's about the bottom of the hour, so we got a little bit of time. Um, I did uh, – yeah, I, I, are you there, Suzette? Because I do got that, that link up, and I'm trying to find um, – because it's a timeline. And I'm yeah. trying to find the year in which – uh, I'm trying to find the year in, in which that. I'll look. I'll look for the year. But if you notice, there are a lot of different circumstances and instances when the United States did pay out uh, reparations for something, uh, which I found very interesting. I wasn't aware of all of that. 
But um, so I'll scroll through and find a year specifically for the Jewish people. But um, but you'll notice that there are quite a few different um, times when we paid out reparations. Yeah, different monies for different things. Um, maybe we'll go down the list uh, someday. But <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but well, I got here. Well, listen to this. 1969. It said the Black Manifesto was launched in Detroit is one of the first calls for reparations in the modern era, uh, penned by James Foreman, former uh, SNCC Student Nonviolent Coordination Committee organizer, and released at the National Black Economic Development Conference. The manifesto demanded 500 million in reparations from the predominantly white religious institutions for the role in perpetuating slavery. About 215,000 other sources say 500,000 was raised from the Episcopalian and Methodist churches through rancorous deliberations that ultimately tore the coalition apart. The money was used to establish organizations such as a black-owned band, television networks, and the Black Economic Research Center. So there you go. So they were already paid. The, the, you know, but they you, well, what they want is actually money sent directly to. They they basically want a check written to every black person in America is what they what the reparation people support reparations actually want. They don't want money going from the government as it happened here, or in this case from these two churches, um, to go to uh, a reason black economic research center. They want it actually to them. Um, so it looks like there was some type of uh, – well, it also has here um, – it says uh, – let's see. In 1988, Ronald Reagan had signed um, a bill providing $1.2 billion, which would be $20,000 a person and an apology to each of the approximately 60,000 living Japanese Americans who had been interned during World War II. And there was yeah, more – well, what- but here's what I here's why I'm not here's why I'm not against that, and let me tell you why. Ronald Reagan signed approved the bill of one point two bill twenty thousand dollars a person for approximately living sixty thousand living. These people were actually affected by being in internment camps during World War II. Um, so these are people who are living now. There was six point four in a trust fund uh, that was created for their communities. That part I'm not particularly agree with, but where they were actually given to the people who were still alive, who were directly affected by it, these people lived it. The reparations for the um, what they're talking about these days, they they didn't live it. They never lived in slavery, and frankly, their parents and grandparents, probably their great grandparents, didn't. Uh huh. Uh, 1994, the state of Florida approved 2.1 million for the living survivors of 1923 racial program that resulted in multiple deaths and dissemination of the black community in the town of Rosewood. So Florida, that was an individual state, so they had to do their thing. But um, you see, just, uh, where's that? You said in 1989? In 1994. 1994, okay. Approved 2.2 for living survivors of a 1923. Wow, how much money did they get? I don't know. So these, I mean, if they were, they were survivors of a 1923. We're talking about 71 years. That means these people had to be. There couldn't have been that many of them. I'd like to find out how many that was. <laughs> wow, because I mean they had to be in their 70s 
or order for them to get that money. I wonder how many they actually split that $2.1 million into. But, again, these are people that actually, let's see, they were the living well, – well, they were the living – yeah, they were the living survivors. So they actually experienced it. So, I mean, if it's something somebody's experienced, then, I mean, I get that. I mean, they are, you know, they experienced it. But if they didn't, then why are we giving money for people who've never experienced the slavery? That's the part well, I've got a problem with. I'm still trying to – I'm looking for that one for Israel, though. I'm still trying to find I – would, I would figure that one would be closer to, like, 1945. Is where I would think that would be closer to, or so, or at least after 1945. Mm. But I'm not seeing one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if it's supposed to be before World it, War II. Right. It came after, I believe, when Reagan was governor of California. So. So it could be maybe state specific. Hang on. Hello? Hello? Did I lose anyone on the air? I No, everyone went silent no, for here. a moment, so I didn't know. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're, I, didn't we're, know I, thought, yeah, I thought uh, Suzette was looking something up. But yeah, we're trying to find where, you know, the United States gave uh, Israel you know, some reparations, but she's looking into it. But, I mean, and I don't – I mean, if, if, if we did something wrong and the people are living – Okay, then yeah, I, I think that you know they should be compensated. What I don't agree with is if you if you if you have it, why should you be compensated? I mean, <laughs> you know, now if there's a living, you know, someone who was once a slave still living, then you know maybe they should get a bunch of money. But you know, if they're still benefiting from being born in America, I just don't see where that money is deserved. I I agree with you, one hundred percent wholeheartedly. It's the same concept as uh, continuing to uh, fund other nations when uh, help needs to come home first to uh, Americans, thus as citizens. Help comes at home first. It appears it was just in California, and we even had, uh, I don't know what you call it, put up some form of um, statue or or, um, dedicated something or other to them as well. Uh, to the Jewish people, and that was in California only, so not the federal government. My apologies. Uh, oh, no, no, that's okay. So California did that, okay. Well, no, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, those things, uh, <coughs> those things happen. And so we'll... Uh... Yeah, but but here's the larger point. When a, when a white person is, is murdered or a, a Latino person is murdered or a, or a Muslim person is murdered. You don't you don't have white people or Latino people or uh, people from the Middle East coming into the street saying Muslims lives matter, black, white lives matter. You don't see them torching and and looting stores. So you see, there's a fundamental pattern in, in difference uh, between how different ethnicities react. And like I said, you know, uh, Black Lives Matters is a well orchestrated, well organized group, and they have become more organized over the years, uh, so has Antifa, uh, and, uh, you know, um, most uh, political analysts uh, 
you know, believe that yesterday the uh, the flag burning and uh, the protesters, uh, so-called protesters getting close to the White House uh, was uh, was very organized. It didn't it didn't seem like they were just innocent, you know, uh, protesters that you know just came about and decided to march. So you know that's that's the contrast. And and how do you argue out of that one? How how do you argue that so basically? It's tribalism. So if something is done unto you, you're allowed to do anything you want. You have free reign, anarchy, looting, violence, and you get the pass. But you don't see other ethnicities or minorities reacting in that way when they're slain, even when they're unjustly done. So you don't have them coming into the streets or organizations. Um, Hold on one second, Robert. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, sorry but, about that, Robert. So that's that's my greater point. And I'll, I'll say one more thing, Robert, and then I'll give you the floor. You know, those people who get on their knees and apologize for white privilege, those are all staged. Black Lives Matters select these people that they, they, they seek their vulnerability. And this is all orchestrated. It's not like in here. It's not like they're going at random and they're just selecting any general white person. Because I tell you one thing, if they selected me, I would tell them, you know what, you could go to hell. If you think I have white privilege, guess what? I've been out of a job for over three months. I've been suffering because of COVID-19 economically. So where's my privilege? How's my privilege helped me? So they're actually choosing people who are, there, uh, who are feeding into their propaganda. Uh, they're choosing people um, who, you know, are going to say what they want them to say on the camera. So they could, they, they, could, they could paint the narrative that, oh, all these white people are getting on their knees and they're ashamed. No, that's the narrative they want to paint. But, uh, you know, that's that's not the case. And I'll defer back to you. It's it's completely orchestrated. It's completely planned. It's not done at random. Because I, I sure know if someone came up to you and asked you that question to me, I'd tell them, you know what, you can go to hell with you and your uh, obsession with privilege. Because uh, I'm not driving a Lexus. I'm not a multimillionaire, and I've been out of a job for over three months. So please tell me in an intelligent conversation, how has my white privilege helped me through COVID? Rhetorical question. It hasn't helped me one bit. COVID has affected every race, every ethnicity, every religion. It has affected everyone as a whole. Hang on. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good one. Uh, it is, yeah, it has oh. affected everyone as a whole. No, no, no. Would you agree, Robert and Suzette, no race or ethnicity has been immune to the economic and the mortality catastrophe of COVID-19. So I find it laughable, but in a sad, ironic way that they would have the nerve to say that we have some sort of privilege. Because if that were the case, geez, I'd still be in a job. I'd be driving in a Lexus. We'd all be multimillionaires with Rolexes golfing, Right. No, that's a utopia. That's a, that's, a, that's a fairy tale. That's fiction. And that's the sad part is they're propaganda machines that are going to do anything to sell their narrative to the people, to brainwash as many people as possible to actually believe what they're peddling. But real Americans like you and me, we see through that clear. I don't feel guilty one bit. You know why? I wasn't alive in the Civil War. Just because... Uh, I have the same skin color doesn't mean that I'm responsible for it or I should feel guilty for that. 
No, that's tribalism. And we as a nation reject tribalism. And the Democratic Party is trying to make us a tribalistic nation. They are trying to do everything to make America the America they want it to be. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you have a choice. There are two visions and there are two futures in November. And yes, Sean Hannity, this is the most important election of our lifetimes. And we must go out and we must make that vote. We have to. Because not only do our lives depend on it, uh, Robert and Suzette, our kids, our grandchildren, our future generations depend on it. We cannot let future generations down because future generations are not alive. We must set the path. We must set the course. We must stand up for what is right. We must stand up for what is just because if we don't do so, there will be no future generations around. And I'll go back to, I'll defer back to you, Robert and Suzette. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. And, uh, you know, I'm, I know 2016 was really important. I mean, gosh, as I said many times, I mean, the the thought of someone as corrupt as as Hillary uh, Hillary Clinton becoming the president of the United States was uh, anathema to me. But this time it's different. It's not about not having a corrupt president. I really do think that because the the Republicans up until now, they really haven't had any vision. And I think the only reason why the Republicans have vision now is because of, of Trump. And if Trump isn't reelected, we're going to lose. America's going to lose that vision. And what you're seeing in the United States now is is, is commonplace. And one of the things on uh, that one audio, I definitely want people to go to the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the newsroom. Uh, you know, like you know, subscribe to it. You get the weekly updates. But uh, and then that'll also let you know your you know the, about the show coming up. But one of the things it talked about is, you know, in that video, the, the one about, you know, it's a demoralized, uh, destabilizing crisis, is that one of the things we're talking about is, is normalcy, okay? And, you know, what they're always talking about, the, you know, the new normal, and they're talking about, oh, remember that was kind of the last step is to make, is to make these things normalized, okay? And that's what they're trying to do is to make it so that – the um, you know this new normal and that's that's the part of the normalization uh, you know the normalization that they're talking about uh, is you know to get us used to having these type of things happen all the time you know Black Lives Matter strewn all over the places our statues of our history being torn apart torn down and torn apart you know us being d- divided you know. By our, you know, as you said, our tribalism. These are the things that is going to become the norm if you know Biden gets elected. Because frankly, he and the Democrats, as they've already proven, they're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to do anything about it. And so that's going to be your normal. And so they're going to have this crisis, as he was talking about in the video. Please watch it again or listen. Well, you'll be watching if you go to the video. And you'll see, you know, where he's talking about, you know, this is this is their strategy. They've been working on the strategy at least since, you know, 1984 when they were talking about it. And they were telling us how long it takes for this stuff to happen. And as I said earlier in the show, we're there. We're, we're here. I, I, I can't believe it. You know, I mean, this is something that you never thought, you know, could happen, but it's happening. 
And the thing is, Democrats, if you're listening to the show, or if anyone has Democrat friends, please share this with the show. So with the show, the show with them, um, you know, I'll, I'll send you guys the link. And if, and if I don't get to you, please get back to me, and I'll, I'll share the link to it with you, because these things are, you know. Even Democrats, again, if you love this country, I don't see how you can – I don't say you can vote for you know, a Democrat because they are, the Democrats are an anti-American party. I mean look at Ocasio-Cortez. To my understanding, she won her primary uh, last night, which, boy, I was really hoping that she would have got primaried out. I would have loved to, I would have loved to um, go into the bar and – Seeing her serving at her bar there, and tell her I wanted two, uh, you know, two buttery nipples. And <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll try to be funny in bars logic after dark. But uh, anyway, so but I mean, but she's still there. So what does that tell you, you know, about the uh, the constituency there? And and that's and, and that's the reality. Still some out there who were like. Are looking at what's going on and like what happened to America? I mean, Joseph, uh, you know, do you or, or do you? Does uh, that I mean do you think there's Democrats out there? Do you know any Democrats out there that are like, what the hell is going on with my part, my country? What the hell is going on with my party? Absolutely, I've been saying that for weeks on this show that I am in a liberal state. I still have family and friends back in New York. And uh, the one thing we are all united on is this COVID-19 is the worst calamity to ever occur in our nation's history. Uh, No other calamity or travesty or war or not even the Spanish flu ever shut down our economy. Nothing in the history. We survived World War I, World War II, uh, the, the Korean War, the Vietnam War without having our economy shut down. And people are hurting, and it's no longer a matter of left and right. I have a lot of liberal friends who are telling me, you know what, for many years I told the Democratic Party line, but right now I don't care if it's left, right, or center. Whoever is accountable for our pain and suffering, I want to hold them accountable in November. And uh, it's it's no longer a left issue, a right issue, or center issue, because I tell you, you know what hurts the most? Your wallet. When you feel that financial pain, when you can no longer pay your rent or your mortgage or your car payments, when you can no longer feed or clothe your children, human nature, the uh, uh, survival kicks in. Human nature to where you say, you know what, at this point, I don't care if it's left, right, or center. Whoever's at the helm causing this pain and suffering, they are going to face the fire. And so I have a lot of people who are libertarians, who are longtime liberals, who says on this issue, politics is out the window. This is also the worst economic calamity to ever affect our nation, far worse than the Greater Depression. And so what I'm hearing from people that I know is finally putting the, the, the politics aside, and it's finally about whoever's at the helm your head is going to hang. We are going to hang your head because people are just fed up right now. And they have a big distrust, more of a distrust in their government, more of a distrust in their party, more of a distrust in their political leaders. COVID-19, I think, 
has been a rude awakening for many American people who've been asleep for so many years, who told the party line because they felt that they owed loyalty to party, but they forgot that loyalty should always, always go to your country before any party, before any ideology, before any, any belief. Country must come first. Country above party. And we've lost sight of that a long time ago. And it's about time we, we wake up to reality in realizing it's country above party. AOC got elected. You want to know why? Because every indicator of common sense should have ensured that with her radical extreme divisive platform that she was not worthy of getting reelected. She was the only new, newly elected congresswoman who said she believed she didn't have to pay her dues to Congress. And yet they elected her, and do you know why? And sadly, guess what, Robert? That is my former congressional district. I was born and raised in District 16. My family members currently still reside in that district. They voted for her. They, re- uh, they voted for AOC again. You want to know why? Because um, AOC tells them what they want to hear. They believe the brainwash. They've already brainwashed. They believe it. They don't, uh, and they believe what she's peddling. That's the problem. And, 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 and they're not holding her accountable for holding back this economy, especially for the economy in New York, along with Cuomo and de Blasio, who are uh, epic um, examples of failure of leadership. I couldn't believe Cuomo yesterday was justifying the removal of a statue of Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt? Are you kidding me? I mean, if you hear what they're saying, they've gone insane. And I'm telling you right now, this COVID-19 has made so many people awaken to where party lines are no longer crossed. That is the narrative that the mainstream media will have you believe. If you turn on CNN and MSNBC, they'll make you believe that the majority of the American people support the lockdown measures, support these draconian measures that these Uh, liberal governors instituted, support Joe Biden. It's not true. It's called propaganda. It's existed since the beginning of time. It's the most powerful tool. It's what they used in the Soviet Union uh, before it became the Soviet Union when they overthrew the czars. It's how the Nazis came to power. It's how one of the most ruthless dictators and warlords in Africa, it's how they come to power. It's through propaganda. Brainwashing is a powerful tool, but if you actually speak to average American everyday people, they'll tell you, I, I know what the media is portraying, but we do not share the sentiment because I'm feeling the hurt in my bank. I don't know if I'm going to be evicted next month. I don't know if my children are going to be homeless. Those are the issues I care most about at this point. None of the other garbage that the, the media is peddling, and I will leave that as my final and closing statement since this, uh, we're going to wrap up the show um, and uh, to give Suzette the floor for her closing statements. And uh, I look forward to another uh, superb show next week, as always, Robert. Uh, thank you, and uh, have a good night, and uh, God bless you, Robert, and God bless you, Suzette. Thank you. You too. Go ahead, Suzette, uh, with closing comments. Yeah, I guess it's getting time for me to wrap things up for the night. Go ahead. 
Um, no closing comments. Um, audio and uh, discussion pretty much set it off. Thank you very much for taking my call this evening. Good night, Joseph, and good night to you, Robert. Oh, you're welcome. And yeah, there's a few uh, minutes. To... Good night to that. Yeah, I guess it's uh, got a few minutes to get in my soapbox here for a few minutes for closing things off. Again, yes, definitely uh, thank everyone for coming to the show tonight and, and next week. Um, one thing that is going to be tentative is that uh, uh, last year in January, um, my my daughter had to have surgery for two cysts on her ovaries last year. Uh, unfortunately, one of them has returned. And so tomorrow she's having an MRI to see how uh, expeditious they have to have the surgery to remove that one now. And so depending on how those things go, there may be and probably will be at least one Wednesday in July that I will not be doing a show. Um, and you probably won't hear from me for about a week uh, because that's about the recovery time uh, for for the surgery because uh, she'll probably be in the hospital for a couple of days and then home recovering. This is a pretty painful procedure afterwards um, the first time. Now, last time it was a bilateral surgery because she had cysts on both of her ovaries, but this time it's only one uh, in the left and it's not as large, but unfortunately it's large enough where she's going to have to have surgery. So people, you know, appreciate uh, keeping uh, her and her thoughts, uh, putting some positive thoughts out there. And even, you know, not a religious person myself, but for those who are, and I know a lot of listeners are, you know, even though uh, I am with that, I still uh, do appreciate the the prayers because I do know those are, you know, forms of of positive uh, energy going out. Uh, So I certainly appreciate that as well. Uh, For that, you you know, find out more more information tomorrow after the, um, her MRI and, you know, the blood work they have to have done. So I do appreciate any, you know, good thoughts on that. Uh, but, yeah, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll keep people posted on things. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll do the show guests. I know Kelly and I, we're, we're working on maybe having a special edition this Friday, but I haven't heard any updates on that. So I'm not sure on whether, you know, that's still going to uh, occur or not. The, since I haven't heard anything, it doesn't give a lot of time to prepare um, so, we'll, again, that's another thing that we'll have to fly by. We didn't hear from Kelly tonight. I did text him earlier, um, and, you know, I have not heard from him uh, because he did chime in, but then he ended up uh, you know, not, not you know, coming in. So uh, probably something, you know, came up with his different endeavors uh, to do that. And so we'll just uh, have to, you know, go by what that is. But, you know, again, do always thank everybody. We you know great show. Um, you know, we'll carry on. And, and for the, again, for the Democrat, you know, share share the link. If you have any Democrat or uh, independent, uh, you know, friends or people who are kind of on the fence on, you know, who to vote for, I mean, it, it is going to be a close election. One thing that uh, the Democrats and, and their uh, propaganda arm of the media, I mean, getting to the point uh, thinking them more as tentacles than uh, arms. Uh, of the Democrat Party, because we, you know, we know what tentacles do and what they are. And so I think that's maybe more apt description of what the media in the United States uh, has become, at least most of the media. And unfortunately, they have, you know, I hope uh, some of the uh, little memes that I hear about, you know, the silent majority, where in 2016, you know, you have uh, the example of a uh, where you had the tip and then the bottom, and I think that proved out because it really was a movement 
in 2016. Well, we need another movement um, in 2020 uh, to, to get him passed, even though uh, Biden's not mentally able to it. There's going to be people who, and I've seen the post on on Facebook, who they're going to vote for him just because they, they're going to vote for Biden, even though they know he's not mentally able because they hate Trump so much. But it wasn't tonight as to do every night, and that is what they saw by Aubrey Ashford. And so good night, folks, and take care. Mm-hmm.